Welcome. Welcome to the other side of midnight, where revelations never cease. We've got an amazing show lined up for you tonight, and I'm very excited to be bringing on our amazing guest. First off, I want to let you know how disappointed Richard is that his internet is down again. And he felt the show was too important not to go on. And as we have a host of great guests tonight, I'd like to direct you to how to see the images for tonight. You go to the other side of midnight. If you're listening to the live show, you're going to look for the uh, banner that says EM Team, meanwhile, back on Mars. It's in the nav bar, and if you're listening at a later date, go to the show catalog and look for EM Team, meanwhile, back on Mars. There you will see the fast links, which will allow you to navigate the page to guest items and to buyers. As a species, We have always been curious about our origins and if we are alone in a huge, expansive universe. In 1965, Richard had his first baptism of fire scheduled for a half-hour radio show on TIC to track the first live flyby of Mars. The producers extended it, guess what, to six hours because of Richard's moment-by-moment amazing account of history unfolding. Hoagland can now prove, and he will do so in the future, that the first Mariner 4 mission was, in fact, rigged by NASA to prevent us from seeing the real Mars. And the cover-up goes back, way, way back to the beginning of the space program. Why do we tonight have an official panel looking at artifacts, artifacts on Mars in NASA headquarters? Because of all these people you're going to hear from tonight, citizen scientists and researchers applying their skills to uncover the hidden story being denied us by NASA. Congress set up a set of laws directing NASA and the DOD to expand their investigation from UFOs slash UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. NASA set up a panel to ask, what shall we do? And the panel recommended to Senator Bill Nelson, the administrator, you need to also set up an office looking for techno-signatures in this solar system, because it is now scientifically plausible that there could actually be other life on other planets in this system. Now, there is no greater technosignature than the face on Mars. The fact of the matter is, looking for ruins is scientific, not crazy. And who set up the procedures decades ago? We did. Even Abby Loeb has globbed on to the idea that there are extraterrestrial civilizations. But they are even sending us messengers like Oumuamua, 
and the meteor that entered the atmosphere in Indonesia in 2014, which he organized an expedition to investigate and brought up particles that Brandenburg says, A, are artificial, and B, part of the sophisticated nuclear technology. None of this would have been happening for, for what we started. The journey began for me personally around 1982, all those decades ago. Richard and I sat in his little cottage, poring over the Viking photos we had received from De Pietro Molinar. Something resonated that captured Richard's attention and mine. We pondered, well, what would the face look like if we were standing in the center of the Sidonian Pyramid Complex? My curiosity was so high that it drove me to create the first ever Mars face sculpture. An amazing piece of art, really. The first ever analog model here on Earth of a mile and a half face sitting on another planet that should not be there. That's us. Where we should not be. As the enthusiasm was building, we brought citizen scientists and researchers into the fold. One of them was Dr. Mark Collado. He put the face through rigorous computer algorithms designed to detect artificial structures in a terrain for the military. His work verified my modeling of the face. The model was later featured on Richard's first edition of Monuments to Mars. That cover did so much to pull in worldwide audience. Many messages came from people saying that it was like remembering being there and that the haunting image and the evocative book launched the first Mars investigation and laid the foundation for all the future world attention, which included several missions where NASA tried to lie in devious ways, like the famous cat box, the happy face, and so on and so on to discredit the idea of life on Mars. And they've been doing it ever since. So we waited, and we waited with bated breath for a better glimpse of the so-called face on Mars. Hoagland and our team rallied the public to storm NASA with a blitzkrieg of faxes. After relentless public outrage, NASA deemed to send us another image. Finally, the Mars Global Surveyor gave us the long-awaited image of the face. They had distorted it by taking out all contrast as to be unrecognizable called in saying they thought it had been bombed. Our team, the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team, set about analyzing the raw data to reveal the true features hidden in the unprocessed NASA-released file. Unable to ignore public outcry, NASA then gave us the first image from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the MRO. And it definitely was a better image 
and gave us a clearer look at the face, which only became more enigmatic. This was heartening. Now, after 16 years, NASA has deemed to release another MRO of the face on Mars. What gives? Really, what gives? If you look at Richard's first item, you'll see the new MRO of the face confirming our early hypothesis. Keith Laney's stunning gigapan. You can zoom in and zoom in and zoom in, and you will see the architecture of cells, of rooms in the headquarters. George J. Haas is a founder and premier investigator of the Mars Research Group known as the Cydonia Institute and is a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research. His research encompasses over 30 years of study and analysis of NASA and ESA photographs of Mars. Welcome to the other side of midnight, George. Great to have you here. Great to talk to you, Cynthia. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Folks, I, I remind you again, you can click on George in the items, fast links to items, George, and that will take you to his items on our show tonight called EM Team, Meanwhile, Back at Mars. So, George, would you like to uh, walk us through, share what you are feeling about what's going on in, in the current temperature of Mars? Yeah, well, it's... um pretty exciting to have a brand new uh, MRO high-rise image of the uh, complete face on Mars. Uh, I think this new image is great. It's a little more superior to the, the last uh, image that we had in 2007. I think this image is sharper. As you can see, when it's been processed, that everything is a lot sharper. And what I like about this new image, I can actually verify what I saw in the 2007 image. So now I have... Uh, uh, a data that uh, supports what I was doing for the first image, uh, which actually, you know, was all a process coming out of all the way back to the Viking. And then we had those uh, Mars Global Surveyor images. And then, um, you know, NASA's taken over close to 30 pictures of the face on Mars, including right. Mariners. You know, this is supposedly a structure that they had no interest in, but they certainly take a lot of pictures of it. And, the odd thing about this new image, there was no media um, invited. There was nobody. There was no announcement went out. If you do a Google search, uh, you, it's not even in existence. You can't even find this image. The only thing that will come up is that silly bear face in a crater, you know, face on Mars. That that'll come up. But this new image, I mean, there's no interest in this. Why do you think? Why do you think they haven't made this public? I um, I'm, I guess they're all surprised that uh, Gary Legere actually found this image when he was, you know, scrolling through <laughs> the, the archives, and uh, you know, he just about fell off his chair when he when he found this. Uh, actually, I was on his show last night talking about this, uh -huh. and uh, you know, he notified me that this was out there. I was like shocked. I was like, wow. "Where'd this come from?" I figured they took the 2007 image. Everybody wanted a high-rise image. They did it, and you know, we're done. We're moving on. But uh, somebody's still interested, and uh, I'm just pleased that we have this because it supports uh, everything that I've uh, been doing all these years uh, right. studying this formation. Right. I think I think I I am also really grateful. It does support our previous hypothesis, but I also think that 
NASA doesn't want to get caught with their pants down. In other words, later on they can say, well, we, we posted the image. We gave it to you, <laughs> even though they haven't. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's but I, there. I think back in the 90s. Back in the 90s, they were actually forced by Congress to take images because of public demand. And uh, NASA was supposed to notify the public every time they took a picture. That public demand was the fax campaign that Richard initiated. He had them fax, you know, they they didn't know what to do. There was paper all over their floors, everywhere. Fax machines were going crazy. I think they are just hoping not to wake the sleeping giant again because – like you say, this face is much more detailed. Yeah, it's a lot sharper, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the public hears about a face on Mars, uh, their their first vision of what it should look like is like a, a human face. Uh, maybe mm. Frank Sinatra or Elvis Presley. That's uh-huh. what they think it should look like. But as you know, the face on Mars is not a uh, symmetrical face. It's a bifurcated you know, two-faced structure. It's like a mask. It's got a humanoid on one side and a fleet feline on the other. Early on, when I initially made contact with Richard Hoagland, I had sent him a bunch of pictures of all this Mesoamerican uh, mm-hmm. two-faced mask. Now, if the if viewers out there are able to access the, the, the website here with all of my collection of pictures, if they go to image number seven, uh, it gives a great example of three examples of Mesoamerican two-faced mask. Where you oh, have yeah. A line and a human. Um, three perfect examples. This is basically what we're seeing on Mars. Um, all of this stuff, beginning with the face on Mars, all has a direct correlation with the cultures of Mesoamerica, including the Aztec, Maya, all the way back to the Olmec. Mm-hmm. And the face on Mars is just filled with iconography and motifs that are related to that. So if, if you want to just start and dive right into this, the, the viewers can click on image number one, mm-hmm. which is the split of the face on Mars. This is the humanoid side, the Western right. side. I'm curious, as you mentioned in the Mesoamerican art, you have the two-faced art. And I'm wondering, do you think it implies, is it metaphoric in terms of our instinctual natures? Or is it also a hint about DNA, a merging of DNA? Well, um, I'm glad you brought that up because it all has to do with basically duality. And uh, starting with the Olmec, they were just obsessed with this whole idea of uh, transformation. Uh, human to feline. Uh, mm-hmm. you look at the Olmec sculptures, and they have a lot of these transformational uh, figures where they're half human, half feline. So this whole feline and human uh, composite uh, was very popular in, in the Mesoamerican cultures. Uh, they also did masks, you know, like one side would be a, a dog and the other side would be an old man, a lot of life and death masks. So all this whole du- this all has to do with duality and also transformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when Richard Hoagland realized that the face on Mars in the Viking images was actually bifurcated, it was two faces, not just a supposedly this uh, uh, Neanderthal-looking face that people were looking at. Um, when we got the 1998 image of the face on Mars, which was, you know, called the Cat Box at one time, uh, that had this. When the when we did the mirroring to see what this new image looked like for the humanoid and the feline side, the first thing that struck me was this tri-leafed symbol at the forehead. And Mm -hmm. I can remember going through books, uh, going to the library using, I didn't have even a computer at the time, and I had to go to the library and uh, access the computers. And I couldn't find anything 
and I was in Barnes and Noble, and there was a book by Linda Shelley about the Mesoamerican cultures. And in that book, if you look at this uh, mask on the right side with the tri-leaf symbol on the forehead, which number? That, which was, number? This is in slide number one. So if you look on the, if you hit the plus button there, and yeah, it enlarges. There's a tri-leaf crown emblem. Now that tri-leaf symbol goes all the way back to the Olmec. That's a that's a, a corn sprout. And that was a symbol of royalty that they'd wear on a headdress. Mm. And you have the same W shape on the face on Mars. That was the first thing that led us, uh, my co-author, William Saunders, when we were doing this work, to uh, look to Mesoamerican cultures. Now, the other thing about the face on Mars, it has this flanged headdress. And, you know, back in the day, a lot of people thought, oh, this is Egyptian. You know, right. flanged headdress. And then I find that uh, Mesoamerica... Uh, the Olmec, the Maya, the Aztec, they also did some of their um, kings or lords would be dressed with these flanged headdresses. And there's a little example on the left. It's just very Egyptian. You would think this was an Egyptian head, but this is actually uh, mm -hmm. something from the Aztec. The other interesting thing we noticed uh, when the original face was taken, people, uh, a lot of researchers were concerned that there was real, no, real nose formation. Now, the reason for that is because, as we see in Mesoamerican cultures, they wear a lot of uh, facial ornaments, uh, cheek embedments and things mm -hmm. on their lips, nose. And basically what's covering up the nose on the face on Mars is this elaborate nose ornament. Ah. And I have an example next to that, which is just a little jade head showing this huge nose ornament that hangs from the nose and actually goes over the mouth. Hmm. And there's mm -hmm. all kinds of examples of this. Right. And you know, you were talking kind of about you were talking about Egypt. I always thought that that there is a connection between Egypt and Mesoamerica. I think there well, is. Um, there, there is. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, mythological uh, parallels and things like that. But um, as you know, it's kind of like the old game of telephone, where you know you start off with a, a little story, and as it goes around the room, it you know, changes at the end. And it's the same thing with a lot of this iconography. It's very similar in other countries and other cultures. But we're what we're finding on the structures that we're seeing on Mars is that they're more related to Mesoamerican culture because I think that was the root. And all of this iconography kind of went from that culture out to the other side of the world. Uh. You know, culture evolved in the in Americas, in the New World, and then went over to the European countries. And we have evidence for that in Corral, Peru, uh, which was discovered back in the early 2000s. And um, it's and it dates back to the time of the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. This is a structure, a, a whole city in the New World that's that ancient. So it's pretty cool. The other thing I found, uh, Richard Hoagland had identified that little spot or that little boulder on the cheek as right. the uh, teardrop feature. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone familiar with the face on Mars can recognize this teardrop. Now, the teardrop, and I show this little mask here with little dots on the cheek. Again, an, another feature, uh, facial ornament that's very common in Mesoamerica, this little dot on the cheek, or which Hoagland called the uh, teardrop. What do you think it represents? So, teardrop on these sculptures is um, it's normally associated with the moon, the moon goddess in, in uh -huh. Mesoamerican sculptures. So it's kind of odd to have that uh, feminine um, marker on the face. Mm -hmm. 
but we don't know if this is a representation of a female or a male. So right. Uh, but that cheek ornament would uh, lend the idea that possibly this is a feminine face that we're looking at. Mm, or maybe it's androgynous. Who knows? Yeah, really. Hey, well, that would go with the current cultures. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the symbols that uh, I did not notice in all any of the earlier pictures until the 2007 uh, high-rise image was this feline mask in between the eyes. And I have that jaguar head mask up there. Yes, yes. And uh, th this is amazing. There's just this little face of a jaguar. Uh, it's like a young jaguar right between mm -hmm. the eyes. So mm -hmm. this is like a clue that this human-jaguar connection uh, right at the forehead. The other beautiful thing about this is, in, I think it was in 2001 or whatever, uh, NASA took this long strip that just captured the eye of the face on Mars. And it basically proved that this was a human almond-shaped eye. And this, this new image, of course, you know, lends more evidence to that. And the, the eyes that you'd see on Mount Rushmore, if you look closely at those huge eyes that they have. And um, th this is anatomically correct as a human eye. It, it's just amazing. And so we have more and more evidence suggesting that this is an artificial structure. Definitely. I mean... <laughs> You know, you look at the surrounding area and like, how could this mile and a half object be just randomly there with perfect parallel base? I mean, well, yeah, the, the whole foundation, the platform that the face yeah. on Mars is sitting on is very <laughs> symmetrical. I mean, just right. forget about the face, you know, just look right. at the, uh, the platform that it's on uh, would yeah. get your attention. So right. that, that's like the first clue. And then it goes from there. Um, it's just amazing. Now, if we move on to the uh, feline side. Okay, uh, that's number the, two. Number two, the East, if the listeners want to go online here and click on number two in my um, section, uh, it'll give you the Sidonia face, the feline side. And this is basically a lion. Mm -hmm. um, it's got a mane. It's got a zigzag mane at the bottom. I've highlighted some areas with this yellow wash just to bring things out. Now, thing, thing. Across the top, it seems to have this crown feature, like the jaguar with this little uh, two-poked crown there. Mm -hmm. That's actually um, worn-down deer antlers. Oh, like see, in now, the on little the other side of, there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, see the little – that's an Olmec mask, and uh, he's got these little markings on his cheeks. And he's got uh, – what. this is what archaeologists have decided that that's what this feature represents. These are worn-down deer antlers. Now, back on the other side with the face on Mars, I don't think I sent any large images. Hold this. Can we go back to the other image? Me uh, number one? Yeah. Uh, the face on Mars? I'm, I'm a little out of uh, oh, my numbers mean, here. In your yeah, items number or one, Richard's it, items? Yeah. Yeah. If we go back to number one in my uh, section, uh, the face on Mars uh, that I have there, which has been duplicated, Mm -hmm. um, I forgot to talk about the eye feature, and I do have slides there available. Uh, it reminded me when we were talking on the feline side about the, the deer antler crest. Okay. If, if the viewers go to number three in my section, it's the Sidonia face, a close-up of the eye. Okay. And again, I put a little color wash there to highlight the almond-shaped eye. You all see that? Yes. Right. Now, if we mm -hmm. click out of there and go to number four... Amazingly, over the eye, the eyebrow is is a deer head. You see the deer head? He's got a muzzle. There's an eye, and he's got an antler going up and an ear. Uh, now that is called yeah, where you 
Is that where you highlighted yellow? Yes. You see the deer over the eye in the eyebrow? Oh, you it's sort eye. of like a profile of his head. Is that it's right? It's a profile that the deer is facing uh, left. Yes, I was looking yes. for it straight on, but got no, a little he's ear looking left. A, he's, got a, he's looking left. There's an eye, a, a thick muzzle, and it goes down to his chest. And then, of course, the eyes uh, where the body is of the deer. Mm-hmm. This is a deer serpent. Very common in Mesoamerican cultures and iconography and things like that, motifs. Uh, they feature this uh, serpent-like creature with a deer head and a horn. And normally it just has one horn. And uh, so we have this humanoid side with a reference to a deer. Now, the deer is a symbol of uh, keen eyesight. You know, deers have very good vision. And, of course, right. you have a deer over the eye. That all makes sense. So if if in fact these are references to deer and and these other creatures well as we'll, as we'll see we're... as we'll see here how all this is all connected right through so just, mythology. Well, what i want to say is then what we're looking at is the potential um records of animals that actually existed on mars that were perhaps the forerunners of the animals here on earth yeah, possibly. Um, the, the, I mean, because why would they be making a deer unless that's just the way the erosion happened on the eye? But you know, if they're right. if it's referring to antlers, well, then it, my it implies that, that my theory is that the same culture that built these things on Mars were also living on Earth. You know, right. I, I think but we built re- this, as Richard says, we right. were the Martians. Right. But if they built the Mars, the Martian structures are before the earth structures so that would imply that these creatures what are they oh you're saying that it went the other way around well uh mars has a very long history uh mars was the planet blew up around the asteroid belt between mars and jupiter mm-hmm. um and then somebody came to mars and set up civilization after mars was originally destroyed and that culture was destroyed. If you follow Dr. Brandenburg, mm-hmm. uh, there must have been some type of conflict because he found evidence of Xeon 129, uh, in, which NASA had known about since the early um, Mariner uh, flights because they had some capabilities of picking up uh, uh, atmospheric readings and things like that. And they, that was the first time, I think, what Brandenburg talks about when NASA noticed that there was this uh, uh, nuclear signature there. So then again, we had another destruction of Mars. Uh, My belief is that a lot of these structures were built after that. I don't think anything on Mars is older than a million years. Yes, but they... they Okay, but the Mesoamerican uh, artifacts here on Earth aren't that old, so it would imply that... Oh, no, uh, of course. But whoever, whoever was putting all this iconography together, all this symbolism, that, that's all related. Right. So it implies, it implies that those creatures existed on Mars before they existed here. Um, I, I wouldn't want to speculate on that. I just think the animals that they used is, is, is all part of this mythology. And it, right. I don't right. know if they originated on Mars or Earth first. You know, we do have the mythology of Noah's Ark. Uh, you know, there's revelation in the Bible, which talks about destruction. We talk about the, the great flood. Uh, possibly uh, Noah took all the animals from Mars and brought them to Earth. Maybe it's the other way around. 
certainly is curious because you have expanded the awareness of what animals, creatures were on Mars. I mean, we've talked about right. felines. Well, first of all, we got we got the feline, of course, and there's no there's no lions in uh, the New World. They're all in Africa. Right. But the, um, as we going back to what's the, the number of that slide? If we go back to um, slide two with the feline face, uh, it has a mane. Now in Mesoamerica, you know, there's no lions, of course, but um, if you follow the mythology history of Zachariah Sitchin with the Sumerians, you know he believes that the black-headed people, were, which were the the Olmec, came to the New World, so they'd have memories of of uh, lions. Hmm. And we're into this the sculpture time. down here. This they oh. called them bearded jaguars. Okay, so uh, George, we're going to hold yeah. it there. Forgive me. Thank you, Keith. We're at the bottom of the hour, and we'll take this up on the other side. You're listening to the other side of midnight. And we're speaking with George Haas. We shall return.
And welcome back to the other side of midnight. This is Kinthea standing in for Richard C. Hoagland. And our show tonight is Meanwhile, Back on Mars. And we're reviewing the MRO uh, image that was just recently released with George Huss. And he's uh, going into the comparisons with uh, Mesoamerican art. And George, would you like to take up where you left off? Yeah, we were talking about the feline side and all the aspects of, uh, of Mesoamerican uh, motifs that are found within its design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about the um, the ground down deer horn on the top of the feline head, which acts as a crest or a crown. Um, the other interesting thing it has is this uh, zigzag shaped mane. Uh, which looks very much like a lion. But if we're talking about uh, Mesoamerican motifs, it would uh, be something they called a bearded jaguar. And this sculpture down at the uh, bottom on the uh, right is a frontal view of a... uh, This was found in Teotihuacan. This was found buried somewhere there. And this has a a mane. This is a jaguar with a mane, which jaguars Hmm. don't have manes. So it's very interesting. And now, also, the Maya like to do composite art and uh, contour rivalry, where one image looks like something else, and you use a snake for, you know, hair or something like that. You find a lot of that in Peru and things like that. Uh, you don't see a lot of that in um, uh, the European countries. Mm-hmm. Now, Possibly the influence of ayahuasca or his such right. senses. Or or a higher knowledge of uh, art design, which uh, mm-hmm, you know, that's what mm-hmm. this culture was doing. Uh, very very technical. Now, mm-hmm. um, hidden within this beard is a um, the feline has a flailing tongue. Its tongue sticking out. Now, if you saw a few of those masks of the two faced mask, the one on the left of the human feline, the the feline always has the, the jaguar has the tongue sticking out. That again is a bloodletting thing. Uh, in Mesoamerica, the lords would uh, take a uh, stingray spine and pierce it through their tongue and bleed onto papers, these sacred papers that were on the in a bowl, and then they'd burn them. And the smoke would, you know, reveal the, the, the great serpent and things like that. So this whole idea you talked about earlier about DNA, um, the flailing tongue all has to do with DNA, uh, with the, you know, the bloodletting. And a lot of the imagery in Mesoamerica uh, they had these bejeweled tongues. Uh, you know the famous Aztec calendar stone, the big circle stone? Uh-huh. Uh, there's a face in the center, and he's got his tongue sticking out, and his tongue is actually a jaguar paw is his tongue. So a lot of this superimposing other images on in their sculptures were very common. So here we have a jaguar with a beard, and his tongue sticks out, and the tongue actually is the head of an owl. Now, if the viewers go down to slide... What is it? Number five. We have a highlighted area of the the tongue and the the wings, the open wing um, owl. You all mm-hmm. see that? And you can see the head is very decorative, it's like a bejeweled sculpture. It's it's pretty ornate, and it has little horns. It's it's a horny owl, and he's got his wings open. Um, so this is actually. Another connection that we're going to see a little later when we look at some of the uh, mm-hmm. codexes, how the, uh, the jaguars and the owls, they're part of the underworld. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so if we go back to uh, – I'm listening. Well, one thing I think that some people would be asking when they look at this is, 
we're, we're seeing all these similarities, but are they really, were they actually sculpted or has the surface of the Mars face broken off like the exterior of the pyramids where the outer stones were falling? Are we looking actually at sculpted art or are we looking at erosion in patterns? I think people would be asking that. What would you, how would you answer that? Well, I th- I think that's a, a valid question. I think the average person would say, oh, this is just, uh, you know, erosion has done that, and it kind of looks like, you know, you see a an airplane in the sky, and it looks like a cloud looks like an airplane or whatever, or the cloud looks like a boat. You know, it's just uh, false images. Uh, my argument would be that as we see in the face on Mars and the humanoid side and the feline side, if nature on Mars, geology, had created all of these figures accidentally, I don't understand how they could be so intertwined in Mesoamerican mythology. Mm. This all makes sense. This isn't just random. It's like going in your backyard uh, after a rain and all the mud turns into the entire cast of The Simpsons. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, right. that would not be natural. You'd have to scratch your head and say, somebody came out here and drew these. These, these didn't happen by chance because mm-hmm. it's all, it's, every character on The Simpsons is in my backyard now. So it's, the mm-hmm. so it's the proliferation of all these characters that makes it more Oh, that, that's what convinces me, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you go back to the slide that shows the uh, slide two, uh, I, where we have the, the full feline face, I have an image of a Teotihuacan, uh, the owl with the open wings. It's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yes. Now, the other thing, uh, the muzzle of the feline, if we move up to where the eagle glyph is on the right side. Oh, George, can you, a, I'm sorry, George, I, I, yeah. I am sorry to interrupt you. Ron, was that you? Did you have a comment? Yeah, yeah I just wanted to add a question in there. I was waiting for, hi, George. Uh, the, uh, hi. Did you, did you just say that uh, we wouldn't have uh, all of those animal uh, analogs to people activities here on Earth, except for uh, were it not for the ones on Mars, which we don't. No, I did, I did not well, intend to say, say that. that. No, it can't. Okay. Well, no, we were talking about where these animals originated. Were they originally on Mars or were they originally on Earth? Oh, that, that, that we would have okay. to speculate about. But okay, I would be surprised if they all that. were originally on Mars and came here. Okay. All right. So that's cleared up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Go ahead, George. I apologize for interrupting. That's okay. I, I'm, I love questions. Uh, if we stay <laughs> on the page with the um, the feline, uh, if we mm-hmm. go to the muzzle, the very broad, you know, feline muzzle with his nose there, and there's that horny owl tongue. Uh, yeah. The muzzle has uh, the frontal view of an eagle. You can see the beak if you do a uh, you hit on the plus there and really zoom in on it. It has a crested head shape, and you can see the two eyes of the eagle and the beak. Now, below that... I... Wait, wait, wait. Before you move on, yeah. I have to say that when I was sculpting the face, I kept getting this feeling of an eagle, just exactly what you're saying. Like, it was so strong, you know. I knew I, I had a strong sense of the feline, but what kept surprising me was this feeling or sense of, the the image the shapes kept bringing to mind an eagle so I'm happy to hear you right. bring that up. Well, I I I 
never saw this until the 2007 image when we had the high rise image. And then I, uh -huh. I all of these, um, this, all these motifs that I'm finding within the feline and the humanoid side, I also rec originally recognized in the 2007 image. So this new image has actually verified all those for me because they're here now and they're even clearer than they were in the, the older image. Mm -hmm. Now, right below that eagle head, which is a frontal view with the beak and the two you know, very stern eyes, he's really looking at you. Uh, yeah. I didn't highlight it in this one, but there's a circular head of a, of a, um, a, a feline. There's another jaguar with his mouth open. He's got two eyes and nose, and he's wearing a crown. Where is that? Mouth on... wide open. It's right mm -hmm. You see where the end of the beak is for the yes. the, uh, the eagle? Right below the beak is a crown, and then there's a round face of a feline. He's got two mm. dotted eyes, a nose, and his mouth is wide open. Oh, I see what you're suggesting. You see the uh -huh. jaguar under there? Yeah. If I highlighted it, you could see, but I didn't. I didn't do it for this this image. But so you have the uh, jaguar, and then you have this another coupling of the eagle uh. and the jaguar, and you'll see down below uh, why that's so important. If everybody okay. Yeah. Out of that, and goes down to image number. Wait, um, wait. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you before you move on. I'd like to bring Holzer on for his comment about the sure. Mayan connection, because he just sure. put a message here in the chat. Hold, Holger. Uh, sure. I'm also here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You just put a message. Would you like to say that on air? Yeah. I, uh, that I found interesting. Uh, hello, George. Uh, ah, uh, hi. You you talk about the. Uh, uh, the Mayan connection, and uh, because I'm I'm more interested into the geometry of the face on Mars, the location which I have in my items, but uh, one of those aspects is is indeed connected to the Mayan topic you brought in. <laughs> it's interesting. There we go. <laughs> and, well, uh, of course, because you know, that one, makes perfect sense. Because on one hand, yeah. you have all these pictographic images that connect to Mesoamerica. Now you're talking about geometry and, and alignments that are uh, focusing more on that culture. So it just, it's more layering of, of all of the, this data that we're finding. Yeah, for example, uh, you most likely you have heard about the Mayan head of government in Palenque, the, the local city-state of Palenque in, ancient, in the ancient yeah, Mayan civilization. It's in the uh, more southern part of today's Mexico and the, at the northwestern corner of Guatemala in Mexico. Yeah, it's in the southern part of or middle southern part of Yucatan Peninsula. Oh, yeah. And uh, the local head of government there of that state, Pakal, he uh, or his his funeral mask and jewelry in in Green Jada that can be seen in the Mexico City Museum today. And uh, well, this, this whole this whole feline mask is uh, the, the if I guess we can zoom over to that now. If you click out of this and go down to, I'm glad you mentioned these masks. Yeah, the uh, mask. That is the most famous right. part of his. Right. If you go down to, to my slide number twelve. Twelve. Okay. Let's all go to number twelve now. Mm. Number 12, it shows examples of these compartments, oh, yeah. like puzzled uh, jade mask. You have a, uh, the bat god is on the left, and this is a, uh, a jaguar on the right with his tongue flailing out. It's very abstracted, but you can see all the little pieces that they put together to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think once we have a color picture of the face on Mars, 
the humanoid side is probably going to be either silver or gold with colored metals. And the feline side is probably going to be this compartmentalized type of jade mass that we see here. And what I've done here is I just colorized some of the different shapes. Uh, you can see that the feline side is like a big puzzle that was put together. It has all these cracks and lines and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what caught my eye originally, that this looks very much like a, a Mesoamerican jade mask that the halters are uh, discussing here, talking about. And Palenque, mm -hmm. we all know, the home of the uh, uh, the lid of Pakal, you know, which shows, some people think, uh, shows the uh, Lord Pakal uh, flying in a, a spaceship that's on the lid of his uh, sarcophagus. So that's the same area. It has it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting in this. Uh, yeah. I just want to point out that in this version number 12, it's easier to make out the the uh, different um, <laughs> the different characters, like the the one the that comes down from the beak, they they with the the owl, the owl right. and the other face. They're more um, visible here. It's easier to see them in this. Yeah, the, 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 when you add the false color or color wash to these things, it, it seems to bring a lot of that stuff out. Pop them out. Mm -hmm. Go it's ahead, that, Holger. Yeah, it's, that, it, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That feline side. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about Did the Holger mask. Have anything else to comment about? Yeah, about the jet mask. Uh, the the mask of the Pakal, which is visible in the museum, or you can also find it on Wikipedia if you search for Pakal there in uh, the first. You're image, talking I guess, about his jade even. mask. Yeah, but the. Um, uh, Next to the mask, uh, there's also other jewel, and uh, he's holding in his hand two interesting objects. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, in because it, uh, I was uh, because I was of course aware about the famous uh, lid, which is right. maybe showing uh, something technological. That is uh, the most often cited. Uh, Topic well, what topic he's, what he's holding in his hand, uh, when they opened up the lid and they found his skeleton in there, uh, he had yeah. jewelry and all kinds of things. And in his um, left hand, he had a cube. And in his right hand, he had a, a, had a sphere, a circle, which is duality. You have the, the square and the circle, which goes back to the, you know, like Freemasons, you have the compass and the square. The square and the compasses. The square makes a square box. When you found a cube in uh, called hand, his other hand had a sphere, which is a circle. And of course, the compasses make a circle. Again, you have the duality. It is, and that uh, I was completely surprised when seeing that because I uh, I've heard so read so much about in the ancient uh, aliens uh, topic uh, realm. But never heard about that, that he's holding those two three-dimensional objects. It's a cube and a cube and a sphere. Because have you considered that the ancient Mayans knew about uh, three-dimensional geometry? <laughs> that is, that oh, yeah. is surprising. Well, they knew how to circle the square, too. Uh, you know, the, the Hunapu. And um, if you take a... Um, if you make a square and you put a, a string in the middle a, a hole in the middle and, and tie a string to it and you circle it out to the edge and you and you just follow it around and make a square like leonardo da vinci you have the uh, the man standing there with his arms out the five points of man and he's standing in a circle and then it's outlined in a in a cube it's the same thing and we find that technology 
in the lid of Pakal. Not only does it have this controversial uh, carving outside, which looks like Pakal's in a spaceship, uh, inside he's got these, these sacred geometry. Yeah, it's what, not only because I'm, I'm more working in the software technology. I was, uh, for me, it was interesting, listen, the, the sacred symbols, but it's a purely technological symbol that you have those simple uh, three-dimensional objects there in the hand in, at a civilization. You would not expect that they uh, work into mathematics and uh, uh, especially three-dimensional mathematics. That is surprising. Yes. Well, a lot, a lot of their uh, buildings and their, some of their sculptures have uh, the golden means and sacred geometry embedded in them, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, and uh, my uh, hand in the air again. Yeah. I got a question. You said which two representations of Lord Pakal are you talking about? I, I'm, I'm confused here because I, I, uh, I have the only color picture of the lid of the sarcophagus that I'm aware of. It was made by someone that was one of the staff that wasn't supposed to be doing this. And they used one of those, uh, what do they call those those flat scanners, uh, things that are like a wand that you use for like documents and stuff. And they did a full color scan of about three quarters of the lid and the picture on the out, the picture scanned directly off of it does not precisely match the uh, rubbing, the outline drawing that we're all familiar with, which other people have colored in. But that, that's, a, that's a rubbing of a sculptured lid. And I didn't know there was anything on the other side of the lid. So is that, is that what you're saying? Hmm. Oh, oh that's no, a there's, nothing, there's nothing on the inside of the lid. It's all of the sculpture and the. Uh, right. All the symbols and there's around no the skeleton the inside either. It's, it's, it's well, there, there was. That's been taken out of there. They, they yeah. found his body was found in there. And he had a jade mm -hmm. mask. There's a jade mask of Pakal that was in there. Right, which is famous on its own. Yes, yes, you're yes. Absolutely, absolutely right about the uh, disappearance. And there was also two uh, stucco or stone uh, uh, carvings of his profiled head, his full head. Uh, there's two of those that yeah, were also found. Yeah, I believe that. But the... I should say that the uh, the color, uh, it's a scan. It's a digital full-color scan of the outside of the thing there, so it hasn't been meddled with. Uh, yeah, I've, it, seen, I've seen color photographs, but I, I don't, I'm not aware of this new scan or anything like that. No, this is, well, this was done some years ago. The point is, if you go to take a look at the thing, you only see reproductions. The thing itself is there, but the only thing you can see is the bottom end of the uh, casket. Uh, it's in a slot that's like a map drawer. There's only like three inches clear or four inches clearance above the glass plate that covers the, you know, that covers the actual thing. Uh, right. And it's, it's uh, now it's not going to fade in the sunlight. You know, they've already, I mean, there's nothing, they did samplings to get. The well, I, I've actually, not to brag, but I've actually, yeah. uh, I have done a whole line drawing of the lid, detailed drawing. It's actually in my first book, the Sidonia Codex, page cool. 54 Weird. is my, the lid of Pakal, uh, which I copied from a drawing or a photograph by uh, Merle Green. It's a photograph, uh, a photograph, photograph, or a photograph? No, mine, mine is a line drawing of her, of her, of her photograph. So it's Merle an actual, Green. it's an actual 
full-scale photograph of, the, of it. Exactly, um, full-scale with okay. the two broken black white. Yeah. Yes. I don't recall if it was black and white or color, but I, I used that to do my, my uh, full-lid drawing. Uh, we mm. discussed the lid of Pakal extensively in our first book. <clears throat> yeah, but you're here now. And I, right. <laughs> so, right. but I, I, I haven't seen this uh, scanning image that you're talking about. So, okay, I want to jump yeah. in here because we're nearing break, and I'd like to give you the opportunity to complete your images because after break we'll go to another guest. All right. Well, the last thing I'd like to show you is we'll just go above that to image number eleven. Mm -hmm. If everybody clicks on that, all your guests there and everybody out, the millions of people in the uh, listening audience. Uh, this is the feline eye. Uh, you saw the human eye is very almond-shaped. looks like an eye. It's got the deer on the top as an eyebrow, the deer serpent. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, rectangular shape of the feline eye. You'll see that the eye is actually an image of a serpent head. You see the eye? He's got a little eye there. I, uh, I'm not green. Oh, are you, you saying that the serpent... Is a serpent looking to serpent the left? The, whole, is this the eye the is a serpent head. Hmm, is it it's a profile looking, to, looking to, right. to the left? Looking to the looking right. To the right. You see the pink part? Yes. The uh, rose pink. That's the tongue. He's got his tongue sticking out. Really, I'm I'm seeing it just the opposite. I'm seeing him looking to the left. That's really well. Strange. That's again called contour rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, I I see that also. You see where the eye is though, right? You see the eye. It's well, like the crocodile eye. It's up the top. Okay, the eye you're seeing is different than the eye I'm seeing, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like if I were to squint my eyes, it looks strong like it's looking to the left, like its head is going down, and there's like a little brow with a little dot for the eye, and the, there's the mouth is kind of like a like. Lizard. Yeah, his mouth would. If I see, I yeah, I see what you're seeing. He more you can see the 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 jaw. It's the mm -hmm. mouth is closed. But mm -hmm. the, the way that I look at it, it's the other way. And, of course, mm. there's all these two-headed contour rivalry. Uh, this is another common technique of this culture. Uh -huh. And uh, the other side, he has his tongue sticking out, again, a reference to uh, uh -huh. bloodletting. Uh -huh. uh, but the interesting thing about this whole idea of uh, using a, a head or a, like a serpent head for an eye, this, mm -hmm. is, again, is another motif out of Mesoamerica. You can find a lot of glyphs. I don't have – you know, I didn't have enough time to – it was limited to like 11 slides. I have like 35 slides uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> to use for this. But uh, there's tons of examples of Maya glyphs, little head glyphs of like a parrot. And his mm -hmm. eye will be the symbol, have a sun symbol as an eye. Uh, there's uh, like a monkey glyph, a little monkey head. And he's got actually an open mouth with fangs for an eye. Uh, there's a sculpture that I show that has a, uh, it's a dog head, part of a sculpture of a dog. And he doesn't have an eye. He has a foot for an eye. There's a little foot with toes. So this whole idea of this, this composite art was very common. And that's what we're seeing in the, uh, the feline side here is this serpent eye. Now, the interesting thing, um, so we get you have the, uh, the hawk and the jaguar. Well, uh, figure number eight that I have here, that's from a Maya Codex. This is the uh, horny owl and the jaguar in the underworld. Uh, the jaguar... And the owl go into the underworld, and as you can see, the top of this, next to the the roof of this uh, dwelling that they're in in the underworld, that's a, a death god. That's a, his profiled head with a, a blade tongue sticking out. Do you see the 
Uh-huh. You see the profile of the skull. It's a big skull. It's a death god. So they're both uh, characters that are in the underworld. Uh, you had the jaguar son. That was the bearded jaguar. Was the jaguar son? And he would, when he was in the top of the sky in the daytime, he was he was the daytime sun. When the jaguar mm-hmm. went behind the horizon into the underworld at night, this is the nighttime jaguar. Oh, okay. Which is connected right. to the owl. Uh, the other thing would we had the um, uh, the jaguar with the the eagle. You know, why do you have those two paired up? Well, those were very common in Aztec culture. You had the uh, the eagle warriors, the the Maya or the Aztec would dress up in eagle uniforms with headdress, and their opponents would dress as jaguars. They were the jaguar warriors and the eagle warriors. So again, we have oh. mythology from Mesoamerica that put these two comparisons of these two companions Thank together. you, George. Thank you, George. It's time for us to go to break. You're oh, I have so the... much more. I Come know. on. <laughs> I tell you what, if we get through other people's items, then we can come back to yours. But oh, I'm going to be going to bed, everyone. <laughs> I'm probably going to be going to bed. Okay, you're Cynthia, listening thank you for having you're me on. Uh, I hope. Hey, wait a minute. Hang, hang on, hang on. I need to yeah. take us out. <laughs> you're listening to the other side of midnight. We've had a very lively conversation with George Haas, and it was joined in with Ron Gerban and Holger Eisenberg. And we will return after the break. of midnight.com join richard c hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics join club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows only 9.95 per month Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to the other side of midnight. We have been really going round and round with our researchers. I'd like to bring on Ruggiero Callo right now. Ruggiero has a medical background. He's a podiatrist, and he joined our research team oh, a year or two ago. So he looks at it from another point of view, and that's the beauty of our team is that each one is bringing another aspect of 
their expertise to this body of work. So if you want to see Ruggiero's items, you're going to go to the other side of midnight. You're going to find the show that's called Meanwhile Back on Mars. And in the fast links, you'll click on Ruggiero's items. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Ron. Good, Good morning. morning. Oh, Good George, morning, Ruggiero. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So um, yeah, I enjoyed um, getting my uh, my items up together. And what I've, what I've prepared for, for the audience uh, and the team is I did a, um, a sketch comparison of the face, but, but I've Started with overlays, so you can see my progression of uh, of how I came to my my final images. So if, if everyone wants to click on my item one, you'll be able to see what I started to do. So I'm just going to step back for a minute and ask what what do you see. Mm. What do I see? <laughs> mm. So I've started sketching over the top of the. Right. The, the face and what, what starts to jump out. Well, for me, the feline side is really jumping out. It's hard to say. I mean, the feline side is jumping out for me. Mm-hmm. When it I might started, just be the way the high contrast is. There's more contrast on that side. You're absolutely correct. I started to focus what I found as far more detail mm-hmm. on the feline side on, on, on previous images we've had. Um, I thought that the, uh, the, the hominid side came out much more clearly, but I, I was actually outstanding by how much detail mm-hmm. started to come out. So you start to look at sketch number two. And um, I was, there was a minute when I was drawing mm-hmm. and I suddenly had to step back because I was like, oh my gosh, this shouldn't be there. And mm-hmm. it, it's all very geometric. It's very anatomical positioning like it just kind of appears perfect mm-hmm. um if there was an artificial structure it, sh- it shouldn't be coming out in, in such symmetry and i'm like mm-hmm. someone needs to take a look at this they really they really do and i can really that. appreciate coming from you the the uh, observation of the anatomical features of it mm-hmm. you know i and the high degree of symmetry, I mean, it's pretty amazing, this mm-hmm. space. The, the, whole, the whole way through our, our research, I kind of never claimed absolute. This is definitely artificial. This is definitely natural. But I think we have to be open-minded when we do our research and be able to take criticism from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look at this, this structure, so this is why I've tried to show my work in progress. If you look at number three, uh, with my overlay, you'll start to see more and more detail coming out. Um, the, as far as symmetry goes, the, the eyes aren't perfectly symmetrical. But if you look down at the nose, if you took a protractor out and you, you make a line from there's a circle above the nose, and mm-hmm. you go to the right eye, which would be this feline, and the left eye, the hominid, they're fairly symmetrical in. Um, the, the angles, it's about 50 to 55 degrees. If the, if the hominid eye was slightly lower, I think they'd be perfect. Now, when I am looking at this structure, if it was artificial, they, they put 
but it's um, factored into the structure that if it starts to erode away, you'll still see indications of the layers. Whoever built this was or potentially built this was so clever, it probably factored that in. And because of the lack of symmetry in the, the top right hand corner, but, um, I think it might potentially what's supposed to be there. So I think the top section is probably an ear of the lion. You look at it mm -hmm. coming up, the top of the eye go up, mm -hmm. it's a breakaway section. I think that could be an ear section that's supposed to be like that. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruggiero, uh, can I yeah. can I point something out? Yeah. Um, other half, the, the right half, uh, our right half, the left, the left of the face itself, but the right half that we're looking at it from that side. It's a profile of a face. It's not a head-on. That's why things don't match the way they do. In my in my uh, images up right above yours, um, I have two images of the face. One shows the face without the overlay, and the other one shows the overlay. And uh, it's geez. got <laughs> okay, but it's got details of a, a profile of a face. It's yeah. everybody thinks they want to see a head on and it's not what that side is, but I'll explain it when I get to my stuff. All right. That's okay. That's just Keith. I appreciate your input. Um, so if we go to my number, where are we at? Yeah. Number. Let's just jump straight into, I think number Four. five. Oh, five. Um, There's a clock. <laughs> go. No, no. Go, girl. Let's go to my number five, and this is my completed uh, sketch um, from the overlay onto a computer. And um, what I love about how I start to draw, all I, it's, an, it's an unusual drawing I did here because uh, I pretty much just joined up the dots. So I, I did my best to take my, uh, anything I knew about the feature away from myself, and I just followed the lines within the structure. And it's like, right, if I think I can see contour, I'm going to draw it and I'm going to shade it. Mm -hmm. If I can't, I won't. And I, it, it's actually generally a, a dot and line and sketch. So it's, it's the simplest, from, from an artist's perspective, it's the absolute simplest way you can draw is dot and line rather than mm -hmm. lots of shading. And it's still bought out all this amazing, amazing. I have um, to say... I have to say, Ruggiero, as an artist myself, I really love this drawing. It's it's so it's it's uh, got a wonderful texture or balance of darkness and light. It's very um, charismatic. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank it you. really is nice. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really well. appreciate it. And and that's why I, I had a moment where I had to just stop when I was drawing because I'd come up and looked at it from a different angle. I was like, oh my gosh, whoever's potentially put this here really wants someone to know what's going on here. They really want the image to be seen. And mm -hmm. what, what I'm outstanded by is when the first image was brought out, our, you know, our national science teams said, this is just a trick of light and shadow. <laughs> so when we get more, you know, the technology's improved. We've got better imagery coming out. I would expect a much worse, much, much worse um, 
image to be shown to us. But what's happened is like it's improved by X amount of percent, hundreds, thousands of percents. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing more, not less. How can that be? It's very, it's very strange. So I'll take us to my final six and then seven. Mm -hmm. Look at item six where I just took, took the um, tracing paper off, put it up against the white background. Mm. And then I just, just took a straight photo. So all, the, all of these, they just overlay photos from my iPhone. We can now see the full autistic headdress um, both the feline and hominid coming out. And uh, I want you to try and look at the detail in the eyes. Now, I've had very partial artistic perspective. But if I thought I saw a line, I'd draw it. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you zoom in on these. And we'll go to the to the feline eye so a cat generally got a more diamond shaped eye I'm not sure about a lion I'm not, I'm not the, um, the, the domestic house cat and the lion they split apart genetically mm -hmm. many years ago so we have actually two separate species so to speak of, of cats but the general features are, you know similar what I so find the, is curious is mm -hmm. when you're looking at the feline side you can see this like it's a a white canal coming from up from the ear, then from the where the feline's ear would be, then coming down to where Keith sees a human ear. It's, what is that channel? There's some like a light area, which it's okay. curious to me. It, 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 you know, it isn't exactly a human ear and it isn't exactly a feline ear either. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like traveling from one to another is this channel of and then it goes around the 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 nose area of the feline ron do you have any thoughts about that uh about the uh, the basic structures of the um face uh, no are yeah, you I've... actually you're on the phone actually you might not be able to see what i'm looking no at. i'm looking at the i'm looking okay at the I, I looked at them earlier to get a good look at them so okay. i'm referencing what people were talking about Probably so, uh, the audience. All right, so I'm looking at Ruggiero's um, tracing without the face behind it. It's just the paper without the photo behind it. And that's number five. Yeah, I think or so. That's, that's the overlay. Number, that's oh, number uh, six. Number six. Oh, it looks like a Da Vinci. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Not as you the program, see, the, the, uh, the the artist, yes. Right. So so on the on the feline side you see where the top might be the ear, there's like a a white canal coming down to where Keith calls there's a he thinks there's a an oh, ear. Yeah. It looks like what? a shoelace, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and then it and then it kind of snakes around by the side of the nose. It's very curious to me. Uh <laughs> well, okay. The section that you're talking about this in the, the upper right hand corner. Um Chris Spell uh, pointed out that that looks like a gray alien in that corner up there, that one-eighth of a corner. And Where? Right below. Uh, uh, it looks like yeah. a gray alien with a mohawk. So that ear part that you're seeing sticking up, and then you have the, yeah. the ridge that comes down to the upside-down checkmark ridge, which I say is the ear. Uh -huh. You'll see a dark eye and, and a profile of looking to the right of a gray alien with a mohawk. That's what it kind of looks like. And when Chris brought that out, I didn't see that before. And then I noticed it and I said, I agree with him. 
So huh. it, this well, thing has got the lion's face in it. Yeah, it's got the lion's face in it. It's got it looks like a gray alien in it. It's got a profile of a face looking out from the side with the neck and the curvature for the collarbone. And the other side that caught our attention is the head on that got our attention in the first place. And then when right. we looked on the other side, the odds probability says there's no uh-huh. way you can have two images or multiple images in this one natural or formation mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. that kind of detail in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in case, have a look at the, the hominid eye. So when I sketch this, you can see, obviously, there's some detail of the eye itself. But what got me, what I found even more interesting was underneath the eye. So uh, the base mm-hmm. of the eyelid. And there's this um, curved linear scratching into into the rock that shows, you know, if you haven't had enough sleep and your eyes are a bit baggy, you can get this, <laughs> you can get this, like this line feature. Now, mm-hmm. that's, that's within the rock. That's this. Everything I've kind of sketched is along the lines of there for anybody to see if they actually mm-hmm. look at the rock. This is not it is my interpretation, but it's, it's kind of I'm trying oh, to show. It's well it's done. Not, it's well done. It's, yeah, you're, um, I, I love the pre- I love the precision of your work, Liz. Yeah. Could I could I take you, a second to throw a friendly hand grenade in the midst of all this? Scene? This is why I haven't. This is why I haven't said much of anything about any of the interpretations. You know, everybody mm-hmm. so crazy. But uh, my assessment, and this is based on as many years as anybody here. Uh, has put into worrying over that uh, particular uh, structure on Mars. Mm-hmm. And please, Kinsia said it in the first couple minutes of the show, the right thing, the base is enough. That's artificial. If, you mm-hmm. wait, if we interpret or misinterpret either way, what's on top of that, it doesn't change the fact that it's on a pedestal, a pediment. It's not, that can't be natural. The measurements right. there are enough, and so that that should be the reassurance, not people trying to reassure each other that there's something there uh, that they're making up. And I agree not. with Ron on that. But it, yeah, okay. So here's the deal. This is what I think it looked like. It was covered with a complete little dome of its own, uh, and it was face shaped. Yes, but it was made out of glass. Have you ever seen one of the those multiple, well, I know George has because he referenced uh, one briefly when he was talking. The uh, made out of the little pieces of jade, any one of those jade death masks. There's several, there's not just Lord mm-hmm. Pakals, there's several of them. Yeah. And uh, they are, um, you know, it's a, it's a humanoid face, but there's potential for other things there. And I think the one on Mars was much more complex than that. I think on the outside, it was pieces, glass. Uh, probably different colors to scintillate in uh, the sunlight. And if you were inside under that dome and you looked up, you were seeing a reflection of sculpturing that was done on the inside. So in other words... Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying the dome is following the contour of the sculpture or the dome is like a curved dome like we think of? uh, it It was... Sculpted of uh-huh. uh, Q, Q Gardens in London, you know, which is a bunch of, uh, it's made out of panes of glass, but it's very, oh, very, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's like very, a very suspended, structured. it's like a suspended modeling of the face above. It, 
that uh, yeah, that was a, but that was a right, and that was a different face than the one you people are looking at. What oh. you're looking at the uh, I told you with a hand grenade. What you're looking at <laughs> that get uh, that like George called the deer antlers and the uh, the the symbol mm-hmm. of the corn god, uh, right? Which is a very interesting Mayan thing. It doesn't have a name. It must have had a name, but it doesn't have a name. It's the corn god. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, all that stuff. Those are the those are the uh, struts, the supports, the things that were holding it up in a perfectly normal architectural fashion. But it was shaped like a human face because that's the image, that's the message it was supposed to convey to anyone and, flying overhead in orbit. But from the inside, the other side of it was reflective, and you were seeing a an intentionally distorted reflection of the structuring on the on the part that you'd walk around in, you know, the inside, hmm. the houses the, or the rooms or whatever, and they were distorted into another image. We can't know exactly what that is, but it was probably a different face. How have you come to this conclusion? I mean, like, what supports the idea that there was this clear more... It wasn't clear. It was mostly colorful. Or this glass over it that was suspended above it. Well, Kelsey, um, Richard Richard had um, some images uh, historically where he's shown that um, when the sunrise starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets massive, shines. Remember the massive reflection. Right. Um, so uh, you would think that that could be on the surface. It doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's suspended. I, well, I, I think Ron's, Ron's made a good point. I'm, I'm not so much in agreement, but I think I'm more so... Oh, I don't expect anyone will be at <laughs> him. Thank, thank you, Rodrigo. No, no I, think it's, I think it's, everything's a valid point of what you're saying. Um, You're right. Just, I hadn't thought about the fact that Richard made a big deal about the glass that was remaining from what covered it. So, yeah, so. yes, and that's that implies mm-hmm. that. But I, she asked me specifically why, how I came to this conclusion. Right. And it wasn't, okay. it wasn't yeah, it wasn't Richard's sunrise. Uh, I mean, because uh, I look at that uh, shiny, that other, the, the other photos of the, of the face where it's really shiny and it's clear there's something reflective. But mm-hmm. I didn't make the leap that it was suspended above the face. I thought that was the surface of it. It's both. It's shiny. It's both. I mean, think about when you look at something, if you stare at something like a uh, a high contrast object, you know, say a face uh, or something, just anywhere. And then you look away, you have that after image in your re- uh-huh. on your retina uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the opposite, you know, that's inverted. Well, Think about that process in a mu- at a much higher level of uh, manipulation, you know, of, mm. of showing more than one thing. And the thing is, that you asked me where I got the idea for the glass in the first place, from some crazy experiments on optical enlargement. And mm. I was able to get down to the point where I saw pieces of it in color, you know, pieces of colored glass. Oh, it on this but, face or in this other thing you were looking at? No, on the, in the at Cydonia. At Cydonia. Uh-huh. Just fragments. And I said, uh-huh. oh, that's the that's the missing ingredient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because remember, anything that resolves at all, and I was going like six times further in enlargement than you're supposed to, mm-hmm. uh, or that is supposedly possible. That's what I was experimenting with. But I said, okay, that's evidence. You know, it would be hard. 
a hard sell by itself, and the uh, results almost look like radar images. But the uh, uh, you know it's it's real, whatever it is. And I said, and that started me thinking about it. And the whole idea of inverted imagery and uh, multi-morphing images, uh, this is very in tie, uh, tidy and uh, in keeping with the Martian, mm -hmm. apparent Martian art viewpoint. I got a couple of- Wow, uh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Listen, I know we're, I, I wanted to bring it back I, to you, Ruggiero. Yeah. That's exactly where got, I was going. Please. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. I've, got a, I've only got literally a few minutes left. Um, so if we took my, my final sketch, so I think it's image six, and I just turned up to a um, an art show. I said, hey, look, I've, uh, I've drawn, sculpted a, a bust, you know, a stellar bust of um, something. What do you think? And I presented this purely as a piece of art. And people go, oh, I can see a lion face and I can see a hominid. I think it looks more ape-like with the hominid face, but that's a, another discussion. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. Where did you get your inspiration? I say, well, actually, I didn't, I, I didn't draw this. Someone else did. Like what? And it's actually a, a straight trace over of another planet. You just you wouldn't believe me. Right down <laughs> here, you know. But there's this incredible, you know, it, anatomical featured sculpture that's either artificial or natural, and it's on another planet. Now, either way, it requires um, further scientific investigation, scientific study, and it should be all over the mainstream press like you know, this is we were told it would be worse and it's even better than the first images why is it there and silence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um <laughs> find it amazing and i just want to finish up with um with my images and we'll, we'll go on to number seven we can see the final high rise and it still looks like it's been sketched with a black overlay so i have to look on my when I was drawing it, I actually checked my computer screen and thought, has my pen smudged out onto the, the photo uh -huh. from, um, from the NASA photo? Yeah, clearly it hadn't. It's so etched in there mm -hmm. that it, it looks like it's actually drawn onto the face with black pen. Mm -hmm. So I thought I've covered everything I wanted to say. If you have, I've got a few minutes to stay and if you want to ask me any more questions. And uh, I'll just open it to, you know, to the floor and the audience. Well, I don't have a question, but I, I do have a comment. And that is okay. thank you for your diligent and um, artful eye. And that, that, that's a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, thanks. I really enjoyed drawing it. I just got lost mm -hmm. in the structure. It's one of my well, you know, pieces I've done. The thing also for me is that we've been on a similar journey because I mm. did this journey in clay and now mm. you've done this journey in, in sketching. And so the act of actually doing it, like focusing on every little crevice and every little detail yeah. and how does, you know, we have that camaraderie that yeah. if you haven't done that, folks, <laughs> It's something because it takes yeah. you in. It like pulls you in. That's right. That's right. When I was working with it on the clay, I, I kept thinking, wow, I'm seeing this. It's, I'm, I'm on this other planet. I mean, can this really be? 
and it would just pull me in. And I'd keep seeing, like I like I mentioned to George, I saw the eagle, and I kept seeing this and that, and I was thinking, wow, where is this coming from? It was it was a an experiential thing beyond just a routine copying. I was not just copying. I was some kind of essence that's being communicated from this structures. That's what I felt. How about you? The same. I had a moment. I just had to stop. I was like, wow, this thing's too good. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was just speaking a message of anatomy at me. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why scientifically, I'll always come from the science point, it has to be investigated further. You can't mm-hmm. just ignore this and, and say, oh, it's just hocus pocus, trick of light and shadow. Right. It, it's like it's, it's telling, you know, it's, it's communicating a message either um, geologically or anatomically from the art perspective that there could be something here. I think we should at least go back and take a second look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll say that strongly. Any other last comments before bottom of the hour break, anyone? I, well, I'll just say I think other people should take the time to go and draw it and see what they think because mm. nobody else is going to do it for us. We have to um, open up the floor for, for other you know, established people to say, okay, I think we need to take a second look here. And, of course, that opens up a big can of worms, doesn't it? Mhm. Mhm. Well, you know, I feel that one of the things that sometimes is overlooked by science is they're mm. looking for the external objective thing. But mm. there is a uh oh, it's nonverbal, it's a mm. quantum level, it's an inner communication, it's a telepathic communication that we have between each other and I think also with other species, people that can communicate with other animals. They call them whisperers. And um, so this art has that ability always to bring out the transcendental, the unseen. And oh. Art transcends words, doesn't it? It does. It does. It brings in a whole other dimension. And that's the beauty of this is that it's a blend of science and art. And we are at the bottom of the hour I want to thank, thank you, you Ruggiero, for you. Uh, sharing with us your beautiful work. You're, You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. And when we return, we're going to continue with Keith Morgan's work and Ron Gerbron. And the other that's it. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. 
Talk Radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. This is Kinthea. I'm filling in for Richard C. Hoagland. And our show is called Meanwhile Back on Mars. And I'd like to bring on Keith Morgan. Keith is our sound engineer for The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News. He's been an electronics technician with ABC in Washington, D.C., and he helped build Howard University's TV station, WHMM, now called WHUT. He worked at WRC Channel 4 in Washington and at Nightline with Ted Koppel. Keith was instrumental in getting a face-to-face between Richard C. Hoagland and Ted Koppel. He saw newscasts going to ABC affiliates about inventors with technologies that could have got us off fossil fuels decades ago. Those were similar technologies that are just now coming into the mainstream today. He supplied Nightline with show information which was used for various shows about Mars and Europa. Keith is known as the discoverer of what has been coined the Morgan Curve on Mars. He is an active member of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. Keith, would you like to go over your items? Sure would. Okay. Um, I came into this way back in the day when I stumbled into the, the monuments of Mars and when NASA manipulated my camera crew, my ABC camera crew, and along with the rest of the media away from Goddard Space Flight Center. And Dr. Mark Carlotto gave me this orthographically correct photo. I discovered uh, by accident this curve of these mounds, I'm calling them mounds, that were, per- if you connect the dots, they made a perfect one-third to half a circle. And they were exponentially spaced, except the fifth one in the pattern didn't match the exponential spacing between the third and fourth, but the sixth one did. And that's what got my um, my attention going. And when I showed it to Earl Torn, because there was also a ray across that curve from the sixth mound to the fourth mound with equal distance, you came to the center of another one. Those three made the ray. Earl Torn wondered what curve this could be, and he worked on it on a weekend, and he discovered it was a logarithmic function of E. He didn't finagle anything. He didn't change the picture. He just took the logarithmic function of E graph, laid it down over the area, and everything fell into place. And he said the X and Y axis were there as well. I had no clue about the X and Y because I wasn't thinking in that direction. 
But after he told me, I took out my ruler, and sure enough, there's the X and Y axis. And that fifth mound that didn't fit the exponential spacing was part of the Y axis. And that's what got me going, that this is not a coincidence. Now, my item number one. So hold on, folks. Keith was just referring to his item number two, in case you're wondering. So go back to your item number one. Okay. Item number one. Uh, this is a screen grab off of the History Channel because uh, George, who's not here right now, um, he told uh, the Society for Planetary Study Research uh, members that there was going to be a repeat of the History Channel show, uh, The Unexchanged, uh, The Unexplained, with William Shatner, uh, where they are talking about Mars, and he was one of the guests on the show. And I decided, let me check it out. And I did a frame grab from it because I saw this image come up and I noticed it was in color. And I noticed that the ones that I had dealt with were black and white because that's what we had from uh, Viking. And I noticed the shadows were also different. And I said, well, there's the face. I see the face. I see the DNM pyramid. And then I took uh, my overlay that I use for the Morgan curve from my PowerPoint presentation. I grouped the circles and the lines all together, so it's one big thing. And then I resized it just by changing the group size and placed it over top of this. And uh, lo and behold, in the second picture is that overlay where you see where it says the Morgan curve and you see the X and Y axis and you see the red line, which is the curve, and they line up perfectly. And they fall on the same little mounds in the same spots, everything. NASA didn't know about the curve because Richard only said in his book, uh, we're looking at the curve. In the second edition, he added me to the second edition. NASA didn't know anything about the curve. So these knotheads decide to take a high-res shot across that big pyramid that the curve starts out from around. And that's when I said they shot themselves in the foot. If you look at my image number two, you'll see two gray images on the right side, and it says Pyramid 2, high-res, close-up. And the first one shows the circles around the first three mounds that make up the Morgan curve. And then the second one shows where I put the lines over the ridges that run down the side of the big pyramid and connect to the smaller ones. Because these, well, I'm calling mounds, they're not small mounds. These things are the size of the Great Pyramid in Egypt. So that makes the guy that's connecting to them super huge. And the five-sided pyramid is like a mile and something in, in length. And we're talking big structures. And the little structures that I'm looking at, they're actually supersized. They're the size of the Great Pyramid. And... Nature can't sit around and decide, oh, I'm going to connect these three small, smaller guys to this huge guy with these ridges. It doesn't do that. That is not natural. Nature didn't connect these things and then space them exponentially as well. Uh, no. And <clears throat> so what you're seeing in those two are the what NASA took when they took the high-res shot across the, that image. And then when I was putting this together, I noticed that you see the blue, the blue box in the lower left-hand corner. Uh-huh. 
I noticed that here's a perfect four-sided pyramid. It looks like one, one corner may have gotten covered or disrupted, but the other three corners and sides, four sides, are pretty much straight on. It's that corner mm-hmm. that's kind of just shaved off a little bit. And the shadows from the DNM and this in the, the number three, they're longer shadows because the light was at a different angle. The sun was at a different angle. So you had these long shadows, and they all are cones, and they come to a point out in the distance because these are pyramids. Um, but I, when I found that, I was, I was really blown away because I never saw this photograph before from this angle and with this kind of detail. Um, now, if, you, if you're still looking at uh, number two, you can look it up at the top. There's the two black and white images of the face. One is just the regular image where you can see the other, the left, the right side that we couldn't see before. And then you see in the second picture on the left, it's got the overlay over where I said this is a profile of the face. It's you're looking at a face from the side, and I annotate all the different things. And if you enlarge the picture, you'll see. Uh, all the details that I have in that picture, which you see the ear, the chin, the uh, neck, and the curvature where the collarbone should be, and the jaw, and the hair across the top. That's why I was saying this is this is a artwork on a scale that we have not encountered before. The lion's face is in the upper left-hand quadrant, that quarter of the face. That's why the nose is broad. And in, like I said, in the upper eighth of the picture, there is... Wait, like, wait. Are you are you seeing the lion's face is on the side where you have the white line diagrams or it's on the on the humanoid side? No, it's on the side with the white diagrams. Okay. The, this, if you have to, you have to block off that quadrant, the fourth, so if you take and split the face so it's in like more of a fourth and keep that broad nose, that is the lion's face. And it's clearly a lion's face, but you know, nobody wants to see it that way. And the, and the upside down check mark ridge represents the ear is in the right place for how our, our, our eyes and ears are actually on our faces. In art class, we were taught, if you follow your eye around, you come to the top of the ear. And same thing here. If you follow the eye around, you come to the top of the ear. And it can't be just a coincidence that it's just sitting in the correct spot for the anatomically corrected um, positioning. Well, I would also add here that in art class, they also teach you that the bottom of the ear lines up with the bottom of the nose. Yeah. So in this case, that's a little different. Yeah, but we're looking at a side view, so it may be perspective on how they put it together. But if they're going to incorporate the image of a lion's face in it, they got to make some kind of slight changes. So it's kind of hard to say. But the neck comes down 
And then there's the curvature representing where the collarbone should be. And I find that that's kind of pushing the limits on this whole thing. Uh, it's, mm. um, but anyway, let me move on real quick because we're going to get to the next one. In the, um, in the black and white one, number three, that is an image of from the Viking image, uh, the Viking probes, the orbiters. That is 35A72. And this is one of the pictures that caught our attention with the face. So what I did was I enlarged the picture so that the objects were the same size as number one. And they are aligned, and I rotated it just a little bit so that things lined up properly. Then I took all of the images from um, my image number two that I inserted, the face, the DM pyramid, the um, two images of the, the pyramid with the uh, mounds that start out from the curve. Are you referring to number four now? Yeah, I'm referring to number four. I took all of that. And I just copied it and then I pasted it over top of this slide and everything fell into place. I mean, there's a little, it's slightly out on a little few little things here and there, but it's too close for comfort and everything fell into place. Even, even the curve, the Morgan curve fell into place. And all I did was just duplicate what was in image number two, put it over top of image number four or number three which is now four because i had to make four a little bit bigger and rotate it just a little bit to um, line up with number one and once i had it lined up then i just pasted this stuff right over top of it because when you take a when you when you use powerpoint you can grab all your images and just say copy and then you, when you paste them, it puts it back in the exact same position on the next slide. And it lined up too close for comfort. This, is, mm -hmm. this tells me that both of these pictures are orthographically corrected for one because the Morgan curve does not work on photographs that are not orthographically corrected. Orthorectification is when picture that high up, the curvature of the planet and the curvature of the lens distorts the geometry. So stuff isn't, isn't spaced properly. So what they do is they do what's called orthorectification. And Dr. Mark Carlotto, Carlotto did this with the raw data photo that NASA kept handing out to the media that had all this, what they call salt and pepper noise, where there was dropout data and it wasn't orthographically corrected. And this is what they kept shoving because they knew that if somebody could see this, they would figure it out. So they had to give you the, the raw data photo. I even had somebody said, oh, it doesn't work. And obviously he was not using an orthographically correct photograph. And Dr. Carlotto got the numbers from Rand Corporation from this guy named Mert Davies. He plugged them into his algorithms because he does this with Landsat satellites all the time. And he flattened it out. Then he ran another algorithm, which does what's called pixel summing, and it took these pixels around the missing data, summed them together, and filled in the hole. And we know this works because that's the kind of stuff that we do now in your cell phone. When you want to remove somebody from a picture 
or do something like that, this technology works. Okay. So he filled in all the holes. He orthographically corrected the photo. So everything was spaced properly. And when I put that picture in the copy machine and it came out black and white because dumb me didn't push the photo button. That's when I noticed these white mounds that make up the curve standing out like gangbusters. I played connected dots and I had just one third to half a circle. And then I measured the distance, found they were spaced exponentially. And that's when all, all of it started to come together. And when Earl came up with the X and Y axis, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no way in heck he could have done that because I found the majority of the mounds. And for him to make the X and Y axis fit like that, I'm going, this is real. This is 100% artificial constructions on another planet in our solar system. And these guys don't want to admit it because it would say life is more abundant out in that universe than we could ever imagine. And they don't want to go that way. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I want to um, highlight here is how you shared with us your process of discovery. And each each one of the presenters tonight have gone through this process of discovery. And in the early days of the Mars investigation, we were looking for citizen scientists who would apply their skills and observations. And here you are. <laughs> here you are. And in, in, in your sense, it was sort of, one of those serendipity things because had you not had you pressed the correct setting on the Xerox machine, I you might not have seen noticed. It. Nope. I yeah. probably wouldn't so, have seen it. So it's interesting how the universe brings to us information and sometimes I feel it conspires to, to, to wave to us, Hey, here I am. It gets us gets us going and, and thinking and observing. Yeah, in nineteen ninety three I was on the ARPANET because I was minoring in computer science at Howard University because I went back to get my finish my degree. And mm-hmm. our, this was before the Internet. And I hooked up with Dr. Stanley McDaniel and the group called, they're now called the Society for Planetary SETI Research, with Dr. Carlotto, Earl Torrin, um, uh, Dan Drazen, and a whole bunch of others are now members of. And... Mm-hmm. George Haas recommended me as a member for the society um, after he saw our presentation that we did on Discord, uh, which Richard calls the uh, presidential briefing, which I have now posted on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, since Richard says it's okay to, to release it. Um, right. And it's, it, it's, it's the whole thing that when I showed them, my crudely drawn image when I sent it to him in an email of the face, the curve, the X and Y, Dr. Horace Crater said it's a one in a million chance that these things align that way. And Dr. McDaniel said, oh, the Morgan curve. So I said, okay, I like that. I'll call it that. And, <laughs> and the thing is, is that I got lost from these guys. I was not a uh, when I graduated from Howard, I didn't have internet. So I had to get internet before I could even get back to close to getting in contact with them. And Dr. McDaniel and Dr. Horace Crater, they found a mathematical pattern in these mounds that is different than what I'm looking at with the X and Y axis. And 
they published it in their book called The Case for the Face. Uh, they even talk about Hoagland, mentioned Richard's name in there, but I didn't make it because I wasn't with the guys the whole time that they were, by the time they published it. Because if they had, if I had been there, they probably would have added the Morgan curve into the book mm-hmm. because it's a smoking gun. I mean, it's mm-hmm. math doesn't lie. There's no such thing no. as mathematical pareidolia. Uh, math is or it isn't. There isn't, I think I see something in the math. No, it is. And I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that somebody built this. And I'm not going to bring up the Anunnaki because I always get vilified when I don't. No, yeah. <laughs> well, that would take us a whole other direction. Yeah. So, Ron, is that you whispering? Yes, yes. <laughs> So just let no, me I say. Was, no, I was hissing just to get a sound effect <laughs> complain about people. We're going to be close to the top of the hour, and on the at the top of the hour, I'm going to bring Holger on. But uh, Ron, do you have any comments about this process of discovery? I am going to bring you on. I'm going to bring you on after Holger because your items are more uh, an expanded view of what we've been seeing on Mars. It's new items. So since we've been focusing yeah. on the face and I'm looking at Holger's items, seems a better sequence flow. But what would you say about the, this process of discovery? Well, I think what, the way that Keith outlined it, it's a good example of somebody that's uh, exercising what we call normally due diligence. You know, he's uh, uh, checking out the background, checking out the, uh, what's necessary and how that would affect the results and so forth. In other words, he's, uh, for, yeah, hissing aside, for all the, uh, <laughs> he, he takes a very science, he's taken a very scientific approach to it. Uh, of course, in, in his case, he was, he was trying to demonstrate a background for something new. You know, his, uh, he was, he was, and I, I always appreciate that somebody discovers a new aspect of something. Mm-hmm. I read an awful lot of academic stuff, and that's uh, they're very concerned most of the time in excluding everything except what they're saying. And uh, the you know it's, it, um, he gets you know he gets top marks for that. I don't have any um, criticism mm-hmm. other than he's, he did a good job of laying it out and, he's, uh, mm-hmm. and um, providing the background evidence that the specifics that he's talking about are accurately portrayed and therefore ought to count as evidence. Mm-hmm. And what about your so, process of discovery? Okay. Uh, well, uh, I try to do the same thing. And in fact, uh, in uh, my images there, so, uh, there's a couple more than I expected to have, but it just dragged on so much mm-hmm. before we got to the show. that it said, Oh yeah, I should include this. And I should include that. Uh, so there, yeah, there's something about geometry, and there's something, uh, there's two new faces, which most of the people out there probably haven't noticed. Uh, there's actually another face on the plane at Cydonia, but that's only visible in that large format version that uh, the Europeans posted, although you're oh, Nukem, okay. Nukem's image of Cydonia, that... Uh, and there's one that's like, oh, 12 miles away. How is it in terms of size? How is it comparable? It is exactly the same. It's not a 
stone structure. It looks like it's probably metal. And remember the mask that uh, I mentioned before? Uh, it looks more like a mask. But mm -hmm. a, uh, in fact, I did put together a whole uh, collection of uh, burial masks and things like that to show what they're like. But they're literally like a Halloween mask in that there's enough room in where the eyes go for the eyes to be seen behind it, right? And that's mm -hmm. what the one, uh, the other one on the Newcomb image, which, uh, yeah, no, that was that would have been too much stuff. Next time, uh, oh. I'll show people where it is, but it's uh, it's exactly the same size. It would fit over uh, the, uh, in fact, this reaffirmed my own idea about the dome over there that was there originally. It's, uh, it is the face, uh, but it's, um, you know, it, it looks like, well, let's say that I'm, I'm uh, wrong about the um, glass that just shattered. Perhaps it, perhaps the whole thing got blown 12 miles away. I don't mm. know. But there it sits. It's exactly the same size. I did do a comparison and an overlay, and they said one fits over the other. What, uh, are you saying that the, that the dome on top of the face on Mars that we're aware of could have been lifted off to another location? Right. I find that unlikely, but it's, you know, there's plenty of unreasonable things that seem to be... Oh, that seems really a far stretch. A mile well, and a half long? Yeah, I know. Well, it's, remember, it's only about half of it. But it's, oh. it's clearly the exact same thing. It, it looks more like a face than what's left of our oh. familiar face looks like. Okay, well, at um, some future date, I'd love to see that. Do you remember, who was that that was on the show? Uh, it was another night that Richard was having uh, communications problems, and so it was me and Jonathan Womack. Mm -hmm. uh, who was the, there was somebody of uh, known stature, nobody here, apparently, uh, that was there. And he admitted he'd never seen it before because people don't look closely enough at other things. That's why I said mm -hmm. what I said about Keith taking the time to look into the background of something and, you know, give it some support uh, mm -hmm. as part of the presentation. Because it's silly to keep talking about how well this might indicate that it's artificial. Yeah, well, start there. Start there and then let anybody else prove that it's not. Because you can look through all of the evidence, so-called evidence, that NASA has cranked out the um, face and the, the whole trick of light and shadow thing that uh, Michael Malin came up with. He was the, mm. he's the head of, well, Malin Space Science System, mm. of course. Right. And he's the, yeah, he designed a lot of the cameras and uh, was it was said by him in an interview and then picked up by everybody else. You know, it was like a dismissive. You know, well, yes, but tricks and light and of light and shadow are part of the mentality of the artists that did the stuff that you see on Mars. And there are there are much weaker examples of it here on Earth. There are a couple of contemporary artists that use that, and I don't know that either one of them know anything, uh, you know, or care anything about the Martian things. Uh, one of them is famous, Yakov uh, Agam, who's a Israeli artist that's won all sorts of awards and he does these garish colorful buildings that are all made out of different shaped tiles and they look different, completely different sometimes from a different angle. And that was all part of it. It doesn't mean, see, they're, they're used as counter evidence. No, 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 no. 
This was the way they did it. I mean, what I described before uh, when you asked me was uh, you could have generated a hologram inside because of the interplay between the uh, surface of the dome that was once there and the mask dome and what was, you know, reflected inside. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the like the Michael Jackson thing at Disneyland or something. It, it, right. It was, it's it's that effective an element of um, uh, the art, uh, the manifestation of the art. And so anyway, I have a couple of examples of that, and uh, a couple. And of, we couple will of get things. to those. Yeah. We're going to get supportive. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Fantastic. Yeah. No, I appreciate your insights, Ron. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight, and our guest tonight, I was just speaking with Ron Gibran, and before that we had Keith Morgan, who was sharing his process of discovery. He's also our sound engineer. And this conversation has really taken me in new directions. I never even imagined this thing about the dome over the face that could have blown off. That's very interesting, Ron. I'm going to have to look more into that. So the show is called, uh, Meanwhile, Back at Mars, and we will return after the break, and we're going to uh, be visiting with Holger Eisenberg. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. 8 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. If you're in the hyperdimensional. One thing you'll find is essential is our club, 19.5. It's a hyperdimensional storage case, a treasure trove of outer space, our club, 19.5. Richard would love to have 
hosted this show, but I got to be the lucky one. This is Kinzia, and I'm going to bring on our guest, Holger Eisenberg. He comes to us from Germany. He is a software engineer and computer scientist who has focused his attention on Mars spaceflight missions, including the Pathfinder and the Spirit and Opportunity missions and space mission raw image converters. He's analyzed the data archaeology on the historic Viking lander camera tapes, and he is an active participant on the Mars Society conventions. Welcome to the other side of midnight, Holger. Hello. In the meantime, I relocated from Germany to California oh, in yes. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're now in the Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, between San Jose yeah. and San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, we sh- you know, I'm not that far from you. I'm one hour from you. <laughs> anyway, so uh, folks, to be able to see his images, you're going to go to uh, the other side of midnight. And the show is called Meanwhile, Back on Mars. And in the fast links, you can click on Holger and it will take you straight to his items. So, take it away, dear. Yeah, first, I was listening to the, the show to the other guests here, and I found especially the, the Maya connection interesting, and also the, the uh, split or bifurcated face artwork, which is apparently quite common in, in uh, ancient or even maybe modern pottery art sculpture work. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's a, the first time when I saw the, the more high-resolution images in the early 2000s, I was a bit disappointed because it didn't look like uh, the old 1976 image anymore. It didn't look like a, a complete human face anymore because one side was missing. Mm-hmm. But with the bifurcation split face up, that... Uh, <laughs> Connect in a different way then, so it's uh, it's not a, a, a scientific argument then to uh, completely ignore it by saying oh it's not symmetric anymore, it's not a full symmetric human face anymore, it's only one side, and we can ignore it then. <laughs> that is uh, an important topic I find. Yes, it's a it's a leap because we tend to. Well, I don't know if everyone does, but a lot of people tend to think very linearly, and this art is definitely not linear. It's like multidimensional. What, what's the terminology used usually for this type of artwork? Bifurcated oh. face is a more technical term, or split face. Right. Is there some special word for it? Ron? Ron would, be, Ron would be the authority yeah, on that. Ron, what would you say? How do you call it? these images. If you want to search on the internet for that uh, type of artwork, what is uh, a more uh, oh, I know exactly what term you're in, in the art field? And... Yeah, the, uh, I have, believe it or not, I have done several searches trying to find if there's a specific term for that, oh. and uh, the um, I haven't had any luck. Uh, the only time that I recall anyone referring to it out of hand, and it was the Celestial Authority that was naming it, 
please, Graham. Uh, the, uh, was, there was an episode of the uh, TV show Lucifer where he was up against somebody who, for some reason, had left him a message that was written on the corners of randomly tossed boxes in a warehouse. <laughs> and only when he stood in a certain place would all those pieces written on the boxes fit together. And I said, wow, okay. And he gave it a name. With, you know, the actor almost. Right. <laughs> he says, oh, that's... And uh, I would have to go back and look Wait, at Wait, that's episode. what? What did he call uh, it? I don't remember what oh, the name on, was. Oh, come on, what is these? I know. Well, everybody can now go look at him. Uh, it was in the first season. I don't know, but it was, uh, uh, it was an episode of Lucifer where he's chasing this guy, this uh, bad guy. Uh, basically uh, had to do with his girlfriend, but you'd have to. Okay, Ron. You have to know. So, no, I'm saying there is a there. Is, that's the only. And I've looked. Uh, I've looked it up even when I remembered the word, uh, and I couldn't find that either. So this is like esoteric art jargon. There has to be a word. Uh, I could not find it in in research. That's how I ran across Pitavagam, and I just last week ran across some lady that does paintings that look very much like that. Uh, but I, I have not communicated with her. So, well, yeah, the shamanic art nowadays, people doing shamanic art is exactly that. Well, there so, you go. Maybe so there should be a word, about and about I don't know what it is. I, I, you, yeah. you, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I was also I was searching around during the show minutes and could not find it either. But, uh, mm -hmm. but it definitely, apparently, this, this uh, it's a thing. type of it's art thing. is existing since uh, thousands of years. My first item, Nogushi image. Nogushi learned at uh, the sculpture who also created uh, Mount Rushmore. So he was an apprentice there. He was well educated in, in large face sculptures and already. <laughs> that was back in 1947. 20 years before Viking, he had uh, face to be seen from Mars there, one 10 miles long, one mile high. Wow. And, but that was already discussed years ago on the internet. I guess it yeah. I guess it was even started here on Enterprise Mission. But back to the 1976 first image from Viking, the 35A72 in uh, Keith Morgan's item three, is it? And uh, what I think is, uh, I don't know who created the face there, uh, what created well, it. But I, at least I think it is not a random natural phenomenon. It's, uh, it's not random natural, at least. I don't know who created it, mechanism, but at least it's something to investigate. And uh, the, the mechanism. We have, we have a term like tricks of light and shadow, which you yeah, that, that, talk uh, around a lot. And that's, you know, that's not it. I mean, I coined, oh, uh, I, I coined and copyrighted the word tolus to refer to something like that, but it's not in the books yet. So it's the explanation of light and shadow that is a non-scientific explanation because it's definitely a three-dimensional, 300 meter high sculpture uh, object, mm -hmm. uh, two kilometer long, uh, and not a trick of light and shadow. Yeah, uh, but, but maybe back to the old image, yeah, to the old image, oh, please, here, 19, ahead, yeah. 1976. Uh, what, whatever process if you think about it, created it to be visible for humans. Um, 
it was created to be seen in a way the Viking orbiter saw it with its camera, because at that scale, it half of it looks like a human face, especially or only if you light it from a specific sun angle from the upper left. That is essentially in this 35A72 first mm -hmm. image, mm -hmm. item three, Morg uh, or at Keith Morgan's items, visible only with this uh, sunlight angle uh, very deep Extended. above the horizon. It's, mm -hmm. it's in the early morning, I guess. I know it's in the evening. There's a 30 degree uh, and, the, and the 10 degree. The 10 degree is the longer shadow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a, did the you, image didn't was, you mention to all of us, the, uh, I think, think it was in an email, that you found or didn't find uh, yeah. two more images taken of there during uh, during the appropriate orbits of the uh, yeah, that, uh, of there? That. Yeah, I will get to that. Yeah, they exist. Oh, oh, okay. All right, all right. It's when you, good. All right. And, but about this old image, because uh, as if you look closer at it in modern images, in high-resolution images, you don't see more because you see uh, all kinds of technical details then or random uh, Holders there, but you don't see the whole picture anymore. It's it's like uh, similar to looking going to the Great Pyramid in Giza and looking at it with a microscope. Then you see uh, sand grains and chemical rock components, uh, and not not a not a man-made pyramid anymore. That's a great analogy. That really and, is, uh, and especially yeah. that the, the sculpture here, the object is created to be seen at a scale like the Viking orbiter saw it, which means uh, the resolution was about 50 meter per pixel. And uh, that is comparable. I was looking, is it technically some random coincidence that Viking orbiter saw it at that resolution? The, it would be similar to uh, looking down from orbit with your own eyes. You remember the name of the guy at NASA? That uh, since nobody's been giving names, it's that that circuit turned off in my head. They're lazy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the uh, yeah, he was connected with them, you know, up until he died. Connected with NASA up until he died, running all sorts of important programs. But he was the one that looked at one of the uh, blowups that they used to analyze the pictures they had just taken, and that caught his eye, and he drew a circle around it with a with a felt pen and wrote face with question mark next to it. I mean, that's very real. And it's, it was, do you remember that guy's name? That's a, I know it's kind of a Richard question. You wouldn't know that off the top of his head. Yeah, that was uh, when the first image was printed out in 1976, shortly afterwards. Yeah, that uh, was yeah, one of- in-house. It was before it got public, you know. In, in the, yeah, it, it could also be a journalist because they were- No, no, uh, no. The same room, the, no, I could look him up if I were not limited to my yeah. phone. <laughs> I can't look something. I can't look up something and talk and not without breaking the call. Yeah, maybe on the on the future show, learning more about more about the 1976 history. Yeah. <laughs> would, oh, I should but about know the, that. I can, yeah. yeah. But about I the scale, because uh, to see it at this scale is important, because otherwise you don't see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I I guess uh, why well, a, a quick estimation I did it. Uh, I guess it would be the scale you would see it uh, with your own eyes to the ground. So mm. the space station is at 300 kilometer altitude about. 
And mm -hmm. if you look with your own eyes to the ground, I guess you would be able to see that scale. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's, it's uh, like two you kilometer large. In the, in the sand of the beach of the island you're stranded on, so if flying, a plane flies over, you'll see it. Right. Your plane is a bit lower than, but I mean the space station. Well, but if you, remember, uh, scale, if you yeah. see videos from the space station, live videos, uh, you you can see uh, objects of two kilometer length. It is visible. Hmm. Um, so, dear ones, I suggest we continue with your items because I want to yeah. make sure <laughs> we have time for Ron's items, and I have just a couple myself. Yes. So, please continue. Yeah, that, uh, I, w I was disappointed that uh, with higher resolution images, you don't see the face anymore. <laughs> uh. Disappointing. Uh, but uh, then uh, a few years later, I, I looked again at those uh, higher resolution images, and they have the advantage that you can uh, investigate the, uh, the platform of the, the mesa, the flat surface mountain where the sculpture is placed on with this nice uh, symmetric uh, outline around this uh, steep slope of maybe 30 degree slope and you can see those details better and those are really simple geometric objects. Mm -hmm. Is that your so, item number two? Yeah, that's item two. Yes. Uh, so I was uh, not looking at the face anymore because it is not visible there in that resolution. Or it, also at that sun, sun angle, we see the more modern images because they miss the late afternoon sun. We don't see the shadows anymore because the sun is mostly directly overhead. But you can see the geometry of the platform it is located on. Yes. And that is has straight lines. It has rectangle, rectangular angles at all its uh, upper left and upper right. It has a, a circular a lower edge, curved edge, which is precisely following a circle curve. And if you measure it, you can inscribe a, a circle and a square of the same size. So the circle has the same diameter as the square is width or length is the same. And, and the, uh, height of the, the height of the platform seems to be uniform all the way around as well. It's a nice flat platform parallel to the ground at 300 meter altitude, about yeah, 200 to 300 meter altitude. And that is uh, unusual symmetric for a completely natural random formation. That is too, too geometric for a random formation. And it's especially that you can fit in the square and the circle of the same size, like it's drawn here in item two, fitting. And that, uh, that match of those simple geometric objects that uh, was found by Detlef Hoyer and presented in 2013 in Germany, where I saw it at the Ancient Alien Conference there. That uh, was a surprise to see. And now today we heard uh, with the Mayan bifurcation phase uh, artwork with the jaguar and the human uh, head in the same sculpture from the Mayan tradition. And with uh, Maya Pakal, head of government, holding the cube and uh, sphere in both hands. There again, you have the same simple geometric objects and connected to the, this uh, split head, split face sculpture artwork. 
Well, the, the artwork and the geometry is connected there then in the same way. Moving on to your number three. Because I was looking more into the geometry, the locations, uh, what is then appearing here at the same latitude on Mars on the planet. So the same 40.7 northern latitude as the face, but on the other side of the planet, 170 degree longitude away, so it's on the back side. So if you look at the face slightly on the front side, there's uh, the same uh, platform object <clears throat> made you from know, a square and circle that is visible in item three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to jump in here for one second because that that one it looks like the cliff that that I sculpted, and when I when you see it from the side, it actually does look like a profile of a face. It was it was one of those aha moments that I had. It's interesting that you're putting it in here, but yes. Yeah, this cliff, uh, this straight line on the top, this which yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, a high mountain object, uh, maybe half a kilometer high even. And that same uh, which is existing in Sidonia also. Mm-hmm. But there, I guess it's a bit uh, north-eastern from the face sculpture. But it's the same type of object there, this, this which uh, cliff. Right. And here it is uh, straight above it in the north. And it is parallel to the equator here. Mm-hmm. Or this mm-hmm. object that is interesting, parallel to the equator, and uh, directly below or above the, this platform, which is unfortunately only half existing. So we only see half of it. Maybe it was half destroyed or half built only. But uh, the, the intention <laughs> or the, the matching of the geometry is visible there in this platform mm-hmm. at the same latitude and the same rotation angle as the face platform of mm-hmm. 33 degrees. Here, clockwise, the face is rotated and uh, counterclockwise to the left, but it's the same angle of 33 degrees. Uh, so we have the latitude, the shape, size, rotation angle, so four or even maybe more as four individual uh, features matching on mm. the same latitude on the backside of the planet, 170 degrees, 9,000 uh, kilometer away from it. And that, uh, how, I, how I got to this, that was presented uh, in a public uh, presentation about the Mars Global Surveyor, just showing general images, uh, mm-hmm. geology finding of it by a NASA JPL presentation. But the presenter also showed a uh, uh, high-resolution image of this platform, the Mars Global Surveyor imagery, and found it also curious in, from the geology point of view only, of course, uh, that there are large boulders of 10-meter uh, diameter lying on top of this 300-meter high mesa, which mm-hmm. is difficult to explain from geology, how did the uh, pebble-like giant boulders jumped up mm. to the platform there. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually if you, if you have giant uh, pebble-shaped boulders, they are shaped by uh, um, fluidal water processes or maybe um, uh, deep underground uh, processes from magma. 
but usually not appearing on top of mountains. <clears throat> Where are you seeing the boulders? I'm, I'm yeah, you don't see it on this uh, okay. size right. of image. Uh, that, uh, in the presentation, we saw a really high resolution part only mm. is the uh, upper part of the platform and uh, only a quick overview image, but that quick overview image caught my eye and I was then looking for other images and found it, uh, that it really exists here on Viking images also. Hmm. And then I uh, requested a high resolution images by high-rise uh, mass reconnaissance orbiter, because you can do that as a citizen scientist. You can go to the University of Arizona high-rise website, uahighrise.org, and request uh, images of locations. Um, you have to write, of course, an explanation why you want to see those. And then, if you are lucky, they are accepted and they uh, take it if the chance exists that the satellite is flying overhead of it. And I was lucky then that in 2010, I ah, know the image was acquired in 2018 and I requested it in 2010 already. But then it was finally, uh, the orbit alignment was perfectly to take it and they really took it and you can get it now. That is the image I showed in item three. And maybe right. someone requested the same for the Cydonia image. Again, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. That uh, the newest image was uh, taken on October 1st, 2023. We discussed in the beginning. Um, could be that uh, that was one of those requests. Uh, you cannot see it if you don't, if you haven't requested yourself, you don't see the connection there. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at your number four, and that is blowing me away. Yeah, that, that is blowing me away. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was an interesting finding years ago already. When I, when I looked more about uh, connections to to other similar objects, if if they exist in nature or not, that I found on a museum website here at the University of Chicago. It's uh, uh, Near Eastern Middle Eastern Research Institute there. And it was from a, an aerial uh, survey flight in 1973. 1937. 1937. In black and white photos back then uh, by an expedition. And they took about over 1,000 images, I guess. They right. are published, uh, and you can find them on the website there in item four. So for those who can't wow. see this photo, he's referring to. Holter's referring to a 1937 photo taken from what's now today called Iran. It was Persia then, Malik Shah Tepe. And it's a 300 mile or meter long, meter long, form exactly like the face on Mars. And then it seems to have a shape that would, looks like it could have been a face sitting on top of that platform. So it's not identical to the face yeah, on Mars, but the similarity is so strong. I mean, that platform is like the same uh, per, uh, proportions, narrower yeah, proportion and longer, also, yeah. yeah. And the height- It really does feel that way, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the platform wall, the evenness around it, and then the, the suggestion of a face-like mound sitting on top of this platform. And this is from 1937. I've never seen this. Thank you. What a what a find. And uh, the, the similarity of the platform, and it it 
also looks artificially. Because I was looking for a natural object similar to this, but mm-hmm. uh, apparently that is, I don't think that is completely natural. Maybe it was a mountain, but definitely human shaped it uh, with a mm-hmm. steep slope angle there and the sharp edges that uh, looks really shaped. And then maybe they try to create something on top, which looks un- like an unfinished uh, stone sculpture. <laughs> Right. Well, it's probably a temple. No, it was no, not a no. temple. Stop giving stuff temples. I, I knew no, about no, this. No, no, no. The, te- the temple's gone. No, it's, no it's, it was, it's, it's not a temple. It was a design just like we're sitting on the surface of Mars. It, but the details have been eroded away a lot more than what was on uh, on Mars. And temple everybody wants to make stuff a temple. This is not a temple. No, 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 no. Iran... Because these photos, and you've noticed the 1937 photos, there's a whole bunch of photos that were taken from the air area. You know, I mean, the whole, of, you know, Iran's a big place, but in the whole, uh, that whole area of Persia. And there's a whole bunch of astonishing stuff like this, not shaped like this, not looking like this, not like a face like this one looks, but uh, they were all ceremonial sites. And that was part of what... Uh, Zachariah Sitchin was referring to, I believe, when he was talking about landing uh, platforms for spaceships. And, okay, that's fine. But some of them mm-hmm. are shaped like animals and other things. There's one that I'm very fascinated with that's shaped like a falcon. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely another one of those. Because the proportions uh-huh. of the, the rise and everything match that. What was on top of it? Yeah, no, no, I'm not not yeah, awesome. against anything, any theory anybody has about that, but that's, it was a ceremonial site. I'm saying that's evidence for that. Mm-hmm. So, it was definitely later used as a ceremonial site. It is mm-hmm. definitely, because you see some uh, construction on it. If you look, go to Google Maps today, I link it also there. You can see it today. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, uh, today it's a bit eroded in one part. Maybe natural erosion could be. That, is, that would be another hint that it's artificial if you see suddenly a roll on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see uh, craters on top in the 1937 images. It looks like bomb craters. But nobody was bombing there in 1937 in that remote area. Uh, <laughs> Holger? But it could be excavation. Excavation could it be. Holger. Are, yeah. are you yeah. familiar with uh, what's called the Badlands Guardian in Alberta, Canada? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, uh, you need to see that. But, yeah, but, we're, but, we're, but, we're break but time. no, it's not break time yet. But we're we're yeah, the next time, we're, yeah. we're next having a crunch of time yeah. here, and I I want to yeah. leave enough time to go over Ron's images as well. And we've yeah, got yeah. like another four minutes here. So, yeah, Holger, yeah. of the images that are left, which ones would you focus the most attention on? Let's do yeah, the, uh, the, all the same topic that. It looks like that with the Marina 9 mission in 1972 and the Viking Orbiter 1 and 2, it was tried to image it in more higher resolution back then already. So Which item number would that be? Which item five number? Six, five, five and six. six. Go back to five and six. Okay. That, that is a map okay. I created from the Viking Orbiter oh. photography. The, uh, I only mapped the high resolution images there and the red dots are the really highest resolution of less than 10 meter per pixel. Ah. And we see that the, uh, they cluster at around 40 degree north 
and that is the face latitude. So the, the periapsis of the Viking Orbiter 1 was designed before the mission was launched to be 40 degrees north. And it was the lowest, uh, the periapsis means the lowest altitude. So the opportunity for highest resolution images was at 40 degrees north. That is interesting. So, so let me understand. So, where it's red is where you say that's the higher res. What are they yeah, coming? Yeah, that's the they... most high-res resolution images, the red dots. Does, the does that resolution. mean they're coming closer to the surface to get those higher-res images? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I correct. See. The satellite, the, the lowest altitude of the satellite was always, at least uh, then later in the mission, was always 40 degrees north. But they could not image everything there because uh, the orbit uh, mechanism was... Uh, can, cannot be just deliberately changed to image every latitude, to every, every longitude, and they missed the phase mm -hmm. to the break with that. Yeah. If oh, the mission well, has, okay. yeah, has <laughs> extended longer, then they may have the songs, but it, okay. the mission was ended then finally. And then what it looked like, they tried to. All right, dear ones, we're at that break time. You're listening to the other side of midnight. And uh, Holger has been sharing us with us some information I've never seen before. Maybe when we come back, I'd like to know just a little bit more about your image number six, and then we'll go to Ron's images. So catch you on the other side of the break. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. Before we move on to Ron Gibran, I'd like to give uh, Holger a chance to say a little bit more about item number six, so I could better understand what's going on there. 
Yeah, that is a map of the high-resolution images and low-resolution images from the Marina 9 mission from starting in 1971, and then finally the Rembeck phase started in 1972 early. And I found uh, out that there was an orbit of the satellite while it took images, which precisely went over the Cydonia phase location in 1972. And mm -hmm. the map or the image is showing the location of each image there. The, the map is showing a yellow stars. Those are the high-resolution images, the yellow pinter stars. And the gray squares are showing the low-resolution images. Ah, okay. All right. So you could actually search for these numbers. Yeah, it is a, it's a public accessible file, and I loaded it in, in the spreadsheet software and created this uh, uh, XY uh, graph, scatter graph plot, scatter graph plot is a technology term there for the spreadsheet software. Can create this directly without modifying any data. And you see that the images are spaced in, in a um, defined distance. So the distance between each image, each narrow angle, each mm -hmm. uh, wide angle image is the same. And that is about uh, 140 seconds while it flew over in its orbit. So the, the orbiter or the sequence on the orbiter was programmed to take an image apparently every, or a pair of images every 140 seconds. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, the break, the 140 seconds, was our Cydonia. So it uh, took an image before and then shortly after, but it didn't I hit see. the Cydonia phase in the high resolution. What a coincidence. Wow. Yeah, that was bad luck there. <laughs> but I guess yeah. it was. But I guess it was really bad luck because uh, the spacing appears to be uh, quite Consistent, random. Consistent, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you see it consistency here. Yeah, that is true. It has a really perfect uh, distance of of actually 35 seconds between each of them. Right, the yeah, click, and then, click, click. Or, or yeah. 42 seconds, uh, it's a fixed distance. But when uh, uh, they... They did that, so they, they programmed the sequencer to take an image every 35 seconds, but the camera, the technology was not capable of doing that. Oh. It took it took 42 seconds to take an image and save it on the tape on board. And uh, so it, they sequenced it in case something failed, and then the sequencer can immediately start the next image so that they don't lose any time, that they don't waste time on orbit. Right. You utilize every second on orbit to take as many images as possible. But unfortunately, it missed the Cydonia phase. And you see the uh, item um, 8 then is showing the actual Marina 9 image, the wide angle image, the low resolution. And I circled the phase location there, item uh -huh. 8. And okay. you see the, the narrow angle image, which is a square there or a rectangle, is slightly missing it by maybe yeah, it's 100 kilometers I'm at mm -hmm. the scale there. So really bad luck and there was not any more any further orbit because the mission then was running out of gas, uh, out of uh, mm -hmm. uh, coordination, uh, orientation, uh, pressurized gas there and uh, then it was over. 
apparently, at least there's no public image, uh, Christine. I think this is really great for the public to see if they want to start looking for themselves and doing their own research and discovery. The yeah, but I guess at least maybe some engineer wanted to try to take another image. It could be. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh huh. Uh huh. But why in Marina 9? Because it was known back then in, in 1971. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew about the face on Mars right. back then. <laughs> well, interesting. It is interesting, and thank you so much, Holger. I really appreciate the level of detail and analysis that I haven't seen before. You know, I, I know that uh, Ron and Keith Laney in the background, they're going through these things, but I've never seen it presented this way. So uh, that's useful for us. Thank you. Yeah, it, thank you. It looks like someone tried to, the engineers tried to. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Gibran is a proudly uncredentialed polymath with a deep interest in the study of archaeology, especially Martian archaeology. Ron was raised on a farm in Pennsylvania collecting arrowheads as a child. He found the programmatic aspect of education too limiting after attending a famous Quaker school in Pennsylvania. Ahead of his studies and his time, he attempted to contort himself into attending college before he gave up on academia and left to travel overseas. Throughout all this time, he's focused his core attention on the metrology of our paleo history, particularly on other planets, and especially Mars. He is an active member of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. Because Ron has been so patient, and he always is revealing new uh, items here. And, uh, and I'm I can really curious. Really when I have to. <laughs> well, I wanted to give you a full chance to share these very curious images. So, folks, if you're uh, looking for his items, you're going to go to the other side of midnight. And the show is, meanwhile, back at Mars. And you're going to click on Ron's items in the fast links. So we have number one. Okay. Number one, Stonehenge versus Pobidikamani. Uh, Pobidikamani is in Bulgaria, near the city of Varma these days. And uh, that picture was taken in the 19th century, as was the one on the left uh, of Stonehenge. Uh, Stonehenge, nobody has ever disputed that somebody made that. Uh, the one in Bulgaria is referenced in text and uh, by visitation all the way back to the Romans, whose empire extended just about to there. And uh, they all don't say that, that anybody built them uh, or any of that. It's supposed to be the result of sedimentary activity. Uh, I could have filled up a page with uh, the complicated explanation that they give geologically as to how this could happen, even though it's never happened anywhere else on the planet. It's just something to ponder because uh, I, was, I was reminded of it when I saw one of the images from uh, Artemis. Remember Artemis? <laughs> the, uh, that first loop around the moon and the little camera that they have on the, had on the outside of it, which took terrible pictures. Uh, there is pretty much the whole frame and uh, it's been enhanced, <clears throat> uh, but the uh, the bottom is uh, pretty much the whole frame. You should be able to see this 
thing, which I managed to get in a lot closer on, covered with dirt and bits of rubble. And that looks pretty manufactured to me. It also reminded me of those columns and stuff, but I don't know what it is. But you can see there's a couple of knot craters around it. Okay, so much for the moon. Uh, this next one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Have... You're going so fast. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. And I'm well, going well, to look more closely here. This, this, this thing in the crater, almost part of it, it, it looks either machine-like, but like these parallel lines going on here. Oh, it's um, one of the, it looks like one of those invaders in the original uh, War of the Worlds story. Um, or maybe one of those uh, big uh, uh, battle uh, robots in the Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's clearly that's constructed. Its surroundings are constructed, and it is too. Right. So I'm not, not going to spe speculate on what they are. The picture's not going anywhere. It'll be there. The, okay. The, the next one, uh, the upper image, the number of the image, which could lead you to the image if you want to look for it. You really and where is this? Is, is, this, is on, uh, this is on Mars. It's from Curiosity, They who have un, uh, ceremoniously gotten pretty much colorblind in their cameras. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was first struck by the strange little thing at the top, which is obviously a bolt. <laughs> it's a bolt going through some sort of fitting right under the numbers. Uh, but looking down lower, I said, well, look at those lines. Look at those lines. This is, and then you, the more you look at it, yeah, it's the edge of a platform that bevels down, unless it's a flying saucer made out of stone or something. Uh, but, uh, but it's got sections like you would have, you know, mm -hmm. putting stones together. Now, look at the one below it in color. Looks almost identical and yet this was well taken several years earlier it's it's from as it says on the top there it's an, from an one of my favorite episodes of stargate sg1 this was the floor in the chamber on Ernest's planet where the wisdom of the ages was cased in this uh holographic computer hmm. uh, and um I, I, I'm struck by the similarity. What the hell is mm -hmm. that on, on Mars? Why didn't they have anything but one single picture of it? Right. It was, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the black and white on top. That yeah, the black and white. That's, those that's, patterns, there's something very similar going on around the DMN, DNM as well. It's, there you go. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Uh, I remember yeah. seeing it one of Keith Laney's blow-ups. It was like, whoa, what is that? Well, I'm, I, I'm very. That makes a lot of sense, actually, that they would do the same. You know, they would use the same techniques. Anyway, it fascinated me. Uh, the next one down. Uh, wait, wait, before, wait, wait! Before you go on, can you tell me the scale of what we're looking at in the black and white? Uh, that's the entire frame at the top. I, other than that, I cannot uh, know that just whatever size it took. I, there was no chance, no way to do a uh -huh. scale bar because there's nothing to reference. I see. Unless they're willing to admit that that's a mechanical fitting lying on the ground at the top, in which case mm -hmm. we can make good guesses about how big a bolt would be. A bolt, oh, a bolt. okay. Because on, on Keith Laney's thing, I mean, it's huge. It's enormous. And what you're sure. saying is this is smaller. This is. 
Yeah, very human, human scale. Okay, so it's yeah. not not the same, but a similar no, it's, pattern. It's okay. Just the fact that it showed up on the science fiction show and it's so uncannily the same. Now you understand that's not the whole floor. I just found a piece of the floor uh, that I could, you know, not have actors speak in and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh huh. it, but uh, when I have the when you look at the lines, you know, it's it's representing the same thing. Makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. running through the hyperspeed scan here, the, the, the ones at the bottom are really the important ones. Number four, uh, perseverance image. I put a, I always put the image numbers on there so people can track them down if they want to. Uh, and that looks to me like it's not the result of erosion. Another, uh, looks like it, in fact, it looks like an old-fashioned car part, you know, like a casing for a transmission. Well, and there's that parallel line on the side on the right there where it's curving around. That There's a parallel yeah, etched get... in line that's curving yeah. following the curve. What? How, where's this coloring coming from? Is that the colors or have you colorized it? No, no that is that is the, uh, yeah, I, I enhanced them, but I don't change the color. I mean, uh-huh. sometimes, I, sometimes I fix it, but it's consistent uh-huh. with all other ground truth on, on mm-hmm. Martian pictures. No, 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 mine is... Uh, well, looking at, this, looking at this object, uh, uh, the blow-up, <coughs> on the left yeah. bottom, the vertical side, you can see those like holes where the light is coming through, and they're, they're yeah. equidistant. They also look very mach- And And mm-hmm. this other area... To the right of it, there's like two open wind areas open. It's very, yeah, it's yeah. not natural. It's no, definitely it like not the, natural. It looks like broken pottery, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and for reference, the uh, good old Gale City, uh, and uh, I uh, self-aggrandizingly named the place Gale City because I said that's a city. The only thing I ever <laughs> named on Mars, but uh, the uh, yeah, the one on the left is from approximately Sol 1100. Uh, they uh-huh. took some pictures of there, and if anybody thinks that I'm just hallucinating, just think that I see something that looks good, or like architecture very similar to um, uh, Chichen Itza in Mexico. Uh, they should consider one of the pages that NASA has posted about this has uh, uh, that area. You know, they took a panorama of the area. Uh, they even gave us a blue sky, which they do very sparingly. Uh, and uh, the um, it's formatted like a postcard. It says, welcome to Gale Crater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they thought it looked like a postcard, yeah. Well, a much more recent picture of there, taken by Curiosity's uh, and yeah, I tried to get the terrain lined up so you could see it's just closer. It's just headed up the same track. You know, this somehow they are working their way over there. There's a lot of things to cross over. And uh, look at what they did to it. They stretched the image. Mm. You know, that's another thing. Take your time do it when you feel like it. But, you know, you can see that the uh, that you can compare feature to feature across there and see that uh, there's nothing wrong with the picture on the left. But the picture on the right has been stretched vertically. Uh, ah. Now that's that's beyond you know uh, accidental lens distortion. They were trying to obscure it. So that's that's my slap at NASA for the night. Number uh. six, 
This is important because it's got Lord Pakal on there. Uh, on the left, and again, the image numbers are part of the, uh, you know, the date, or the sol is at the beginning of the image numbers there. Uh-huh. Uh, the, um, if you know how to read them. Uh, this is the entrance to a little cave or something. Well, if you zoom in on the one on the image on the left, you will see that uh, pretty much in the middle is the profile of a face. He's got a really good-sized bulby nose. He's wearing uh, one of those crazy pieces of headgear that uh, monarchs seem to like to wear. Um, if you go to the if you do, if you click on the image and look at the the full-scale version that's buried underneath, uh, so that you can see the detail. You can mm-hmm. see it's one of those it's one of those fancy hats that Louis like to wear. And, <laughs> but what he's looking down upon, which you can see pretty well even in the small image, is a mosaic on the ground, ninety degrees apart from him, and, and it's his profile. He's looking at a profile of himself done in the mosaic in the, on the entrance to the cave there. And I thought, wow, that's a never even thought of doing that. What a cool idea. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of egotistical, but, you know, what the hell. Now, on the uh, right is a slightly more recent image. Let's see. Saw the old ones. Saw... Wait, what, what item number are you talking about now? Oh, six. 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 Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, um, yeah, on on uh, Saul six, um, let me see here. Uh, no, Saul 411. Um, like I said, it's beginning of the number there. Uh, Perseverance took that picture. It's this is a this is a close up from a much wider shot. Uh, on Saul six eighty two, they took a picture from just a very slightly different position, and mm-hmm. so you can just I, and I scaled them to, to match, you know. But you just slide back and forth, and you can see the face kind of pops in and out of out. They didn't obscure the face; they just went around the corner. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. On um, where's the face? It's pretty much in the middle, a little bit to the right uh, of the. Uh, you see the largest dark area there at the bottom. Yes. Uh, that's the entrance to the cave, or, or okay, or whatever it is. And oh, see, I see. It's in front of that, and like the dark shadow ends the sort of mid nose of the face. There you go. Yeah. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice he's looking down at the same visage on the ground uh-huh. right in front of him, which is artistically, uh-huh. I thought, what an interesting thing, a double uh-huh. portrait. Uh-huh. But then you look at the one that's just taken from, you know, like a couple of yards to the right, uh, and you can't see the face anymore. Mm. Yeah. You can see where it is. You know it's there. You can see part of the headdress, but the nothing that would struck jump out at you like a face does. So I'll bet you that they usually feature the one on the right if they ever talk about that area. But that looks like Lord Pakal because they always were. Now we get to the important stuff. Remember, I said I had brand new faces. Nobody seen before. Okay. Uh, number seven at the top, the um, uh, that um, assemblage, if you want to call it there, that particular ruin, has a couple of interesting features. You've seen it before. I sent it around just because it was one of those so pretty that I said if anybody mm-hmm. wants to use this for wallpaper. But I didn't <laughs> look in the dark in the darkest of the shadows, so mm-hmm. I put a little green arrow on it so you can see where the blow up is from, and uh, with a bunch of 
painstaking artistic work, I managed to uh, lighten up, you know, the bring out the shadows there without mm-hmm. messing up the image. Now look on the lower left side of that image. There's another, it's a profile, but it's... Uh, oh, I see fun. what you're saying. See him? Yeah, I do, I do, but you could make an argument for pareidolia. I mean, I do uh, see something that suggests a face. I right. don't know that it can, the nose doesn't totally convince me. Uh, I think, it, well, there's a piece of the lip move, uh, missing too. Remember, it's on the bottom. It's gotten mm-hmm. banged up a little. But um, yeah, well, compare it to scale. I mean, that the one at the top, that's made. A, that's a uh, mosaic I did of two complete frames, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing for the overlap. I mean, it's uh, so it's it's uh, way you know that's this is a tiny little spot on there, so it's been blown up an awful lot. But, um, right. Not, and you can see in the the where the sunlight is hitting on the top there, there's detail there that's not erosive. It's you know, hieroglyphs or, or worn away something. Uh, okay, one other thing about that. In the, in the layers, um, this proves to me that the Martians were uh, recyclers like the uh, Egyptians and many other old cultures were, where they would tear down something that had either started to de- decay or wasn't in vogue anymore, and they would uh-huh. use the pieces of it to build their other thing because it was, you know, already half-finished. Right, and uh, that explains something that's been puzzling me for a couple of years, so, namely sideways-looking uh, orientations of sculpted stuff. Well, you can see even in the lit part there, that is the the top two layer. Well, not the top two, two, but up in the top, the gray stone there. A uh, couple of the layers there, they're sideways, meaning those are pieces of something that were they were you know, part of the part of the stonework and regardless of the part of a sculpture that they included, uh they just use it they just uh smoothed them off and used them as slabs. And uh, you see a lot of that on Mars. That implies mm-hmm. that this is not the original architecture. This is older stuff that had fallen down already and someone else used it to build something. So mm. um, that's not uncommon like I said, but okay. right. And these are all like food for thought. Number eight uh, is an orbital shot from the uh, reconnaissance orbiter. And, and why is it green? Because it is green. I don't know. The JP2 is green. Wow, it's it looks green. like a bunch of trees. It, looks <laughs> it, it does. Robert has another picture that I sent him from the same area that he labeled uh, Sherwood Forest. It really does look like that. Yeah, it's a I, jade I, green, folks. If you're not looking at this, this is not yeah. like a, a slight green. This is a jade green. Oh, it's very it's, dark. It's, it's rocking. Yeah, but it's uh, so I'm, you know, I it's the reconnaissance orbiter. Like I can say, oh. you, you will see it's a paler even on the uh, the long strip original. Uh, the uh, which I do we have any sense of scale on this? Uh, yes, I only use images uh, as much as possible that were taken at the lower altitude, which is like 150 to 60 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the best I got. Beyond that, you'd have to ask Holger. I don't think they have a way to adjust it from over on the right side because the subject is about to come up elsewhere. 
the uh, you'll see two craters, but they're not those craters. circles. The circles look, that look like look two at trees. Them. No, the black circles on the on yeah. the left side. Yeah. They are, yeah. Uh, there's there's lots of them. I picked an area that had a couple that would stand out. If you look at them closely, they are six sided holes. They're not now meteorites don't make six sided holes, as far as I know, and there's oh. no splash or anything. So they they are something else going on there. There's even if you look again at the larger version underneath, you'll see that there's actually masonry around the the frames of them. They're like huge wells or something because they're still pretty big. Right. And as far as scale goes, look over to the left side and you'll see a bunch of buildings. Right. I'm just remembering that there is somewhere where they were comparing craters to was it electrical bolts or something where it was That's not. Plasma it was strikes. yeah yeah they were six Older sided knows a lot about that yeah they were six sided and they didn't have debris around like a meteor impact right. would have right I'm down with the plasmas but I don't know mm -hmm. and uh, you know yeah I told you I could scan it. I could okay. get we're quick. down to our last number yeah. nine is okay well well <laughs> nine number nine one sentence. Wait. Number nine is from the Spirit Rover. Those are true colors because they had RGB filters. That was, they had to do it the old-fashioned Technicolor way with, for a color picture. When I put them together properly, you get uh, it's two colors of Mars. Upper right is the full frame, and the others are smaller than that. And that's an okay. is we're there. Are, they're tire tracks. <laughs> Good night, all. Sorry.